important. Hello, Facebook Live. This is a first. Welcome. You're making history with us. We've never done, to my knowledge, unless I'm totally losing my mind, we have never done a Facebook Live while recording the faith debate. So Backstage exclusive. Yeah, a little behind the scenes <laughs> uh, for you. So the faith debate airs on Sunday yeah. mornings on WFMD uh, at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning from 9 to 9.30. But it's recorded in advance because people that are involved in church-related stuff are very often busy on a Sunday morning. Not always, but very often. And so... It makes sense to uh, to record them. So you're going to be able to listen in on the whole thing we're doing and see kind of how we make the magic happen. <laughs> so let me get this uh, thing rolling, and we'll get going. Welcome to the... Faith debate. Wow, that's too loud. There we go. It's been like, what, a month since I, uh, since we last recorded and I forgot which buttons to press. This is the Faith Debate. I'm Troy Skinner. Thanks so much for listening on 930 WFMD. Happy Sunday morning to you. And if you've already seen this on Facebook, uh, this is what you heard us do and watched us do live on Facebook Live back in the early August. Uh, that you're now hearing on the radio. So if you were part of that history-making moment when we went Facebook Live for the Faith Debate Show for the very first time, you're now hearing the results of that. I know, it's kind of creepy and weird, isn't it? Again, I, I think I mentioned, I'm Troy Skinner. I'm the pastor of the Household of Faith in Christ and the longtime host of the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Uh, not with us, but will be a regular part of the panel, is Imran Razvi. Uh, but his son, Daniel, is here, and Daniel Razvi is going to be a regular part of this panel, panel as well. And uh, he's involved with Conquered by Love Ministries and uh, involved with the leadership of a house church. And uh, then we got David Forsey, who is um, the pastor of a house church as well, the church that meets at David's house. Present. So we, um, it's not an accident that we have... And, and Imran, I mentioned, he's also with a house church. So it's not an accident. We have four people involved with this show, and all four are either pastors or associate pastors or somehow in leadership with house churches in Frederick County. Uh, that's not by accident, and we're going to be talking about that t uh, today. If you listen to the last four, uh, I think the last five, I guess, the last five uh, faith debate shows, this panel came together for the first recording session, and we kind of took turns sharing our testimony, our background, giving the listener a chance to understand who these voices are. You're going to be hearing with some regularity what we're all about. They live on as podcasts forever, so that's w one of the reasons why I wanted to do it, so that if a year from now somebody wants to know more specifically about any one of the four people on the panel, they could find one of those old podcasts and kind of get a sense of the narrative around their life kind of thing. So, we got that part out of the way, but we only began to touch on the idea that we're all involved with house churches. And it seems like a logical, logical progression for us to this time spend some time this week, next week, as many weeks as makes sense, talking about, okay, what is it with this house church thing anyway? Um, why is it good, bad, or indifferent? How does it compare with what most people might be used to in a house church and what are the related issues surrounding that so i don't know who wants to tackle the question first but i think we can start broad with house church why what what do you what do you think people usually uh what usually comes to people's minds when when they hear house church cult 
Right. I think yeah. Some people may you think, think that, that you know you, you have the impression of a one guy that's kind of making all the rules and making up his own new religion and no oversight and or any of that. That's probably a stigma mm-hmm. that's associated with the idea of house church. Um, when I think house church, I just think a church group of believers that meets in a house as opposed to a building that is set aside for church or just any other building. Right. Um, the idea being that it's a small enough group of people that don't need a separate building to be able to fellowship together. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of... A lot of people, I think, have a more positive association with the term Bible study than they do with house church. And I would right. say that uh, a true house church that is the biblical type of house church would look a lot more like what you th- might think a Bible study is or a, a, uh, a small group study than what you might think if you have a bad impression of the word house church <laughs> as far as... Is it is it because we have like a sort of like an institutional association with the right. with the... The word church usually. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of a lot of people assume that a church is a structure. It's a rigid structure, and it's a institution that this is the way it has to be. And yeah, wh- whether it's, wh- whether it's the building or a set of bylaws, exactly right, one or the other. Yeah, right. Yeah, I want to say that my experience has been uh, when when somebody finds out that I'm pastoring a house church, the first thing that they say to me is not, "Oh, are you a cult leader." The first, the, the first well, thing they may not say that to your face. Well, oh, yeah, but, you know. but even reading their body language, the first thing that seems to be the most common response is, "Oh yeah, I was part of a church too that started in a house." So I, I wonder if right, that... they, they have a tendency to think it's a church plant that's going to grow into something much oh, bigger. Oh right, I wonder if right. that is because of where we are as a culture. So, uh, you, know, you know, decades ago when. Uh, you know, in the United States, the majority of people would have uh, identified with a church, maybe even gone to church every Sunday. It was a cultural thing. They weren't going to house churches, right? They, and there, there weren't really church plants in the same way that there are today. And so I wonder if, you know, uh, that's what, you know, uh, there would have been a stigma around a house church much more so in the past, in our culture, yeah, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we really run into a whole lot of people that think it's a, it's a bad thing necessarily. Um, but I, I actually take the position that it's a bad thing in general to have a building. Um, but you know, maybe we can go more into that later. Yeah, that'll be part of what we're talking because we're going to comp- compare and contrast what's happening with, uh, you know, within house churches and what's happening with what we're the culture is most familiar with. Uh, but I do want to talk more about what the perception might be because it's interesting to be. Uh, it never. It's funny. Your instinct, uh, Daniel, was a cult. That's what people think. It's a cult, <laughs> and that was not. And maybe uh, people who've listened to this show for a long time might recall. If you've been a long time listener, might recall me sharing this story uh, in the past a couple of different times. But maybe I don't have that first reaction because m- me and my family, when I was younger, we actually were part of a Christian cult. You know, we were intending a Christian cult. And so I know what that looks and feels like, and right. so it looks and feels so different from a, what we're well, doing as a house me, church that it's like, yeah, it's not a cult. Yeah. Well, let me step back and clarify what I mean. I think Hollywood uh, portrays, well, they portray Christians in general as buffoons, um, but whenever there is a, a group of Christians in a, in a Hollywood production that are meeting in something other than a building, they're just meeting 
in a house and it's a very tight knit group of people that lends itself to a cult like storyline in that plot of whatever film or, 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 or a TV show it is. It's the idea that, oh, these people are kind of weirdos and they do their own thing and they don't interact with society and they don't, you know, that, that's that's sort of implication. Um, so maybe that's that's why, you know... Are you some, Amish? Right, right, that, <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. And Hollywood does like to, uh, uh, you know, do stories about the outliers and the strange right. and, right. you know, because it's, it's more what entertaining. You, what you should think when you think house church is a group of believers that meet in a house that's kind of right. the extent of it and, and they're gonna it's gonna vary widely whatever house church you go to what denomination some of them are part of a denomination mm-hmm. some of them are in, independent some of them you know do various different things but some some are more organized some are less organized exactly some so you of mean them don't not, even have a name so not all <laughs> yes so not, not all uh, house churches are in Kansas meeting in the town of uh, Westboro <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think that would be uh, a stigma too. I guess right. The Westboro Baptist folks over the last mm. fifteen years or whatever it is now, they've been kind of in the news on and off. Hasn't done it, the house church movement any favors, that's for sure. Because it's basically so a is, family. Is it, that is it in the house as well. Yeah, it's just a family. There's only like fifteen people, and it's all they're basically all related. I mean, there's just a couple of people probably that aren't, but it's. It was right. the dad, and then his, the dad got older, and so it was adult children, and then their children, and it was just like, right. you know, dozen and a half people, basically all the same family. And for the uninitiated, these are the people that, once I tell you what they're famous for, you're like, oh, that's who that is. They're right. the ones that infamously uh, like to go to funerals of uh, fallen military members holding up hateful signs saying that God hates English cigarettes, if you know what an English cigarette's called. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a three-letter word that starts with an F. You know, okay. You know, uh, right. You know, hate, hates gays, but they don't use the word gay. They use a different three-letter yeah. word for that. And they made the news because of their hateful rhetoric, and they have the name Baptist in the name of their house church. It's Westboro Baptist <clears throat> Church. And so I, I just assume says, Oh, those Baptists! See how hateful they are! Yeah. Like, these are not Baptists by any stretch of the imagination based on the Baptists I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume they had a... They had a, a building. Oh, you didn't a, know that they were a... Yeah, yeah. Same, same with be, me. Be, Because Baptist was in the They're name. one of us, David. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. not, Let's take a step back from that association oh, there. <laughs> but well, let's, yeah. talk, let's talk for a second about that, because it'll lead into some of the things I want to talk about anyway. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages? And let's use Westboro as a chance to bounce off, but what are some of the disadvantages to doing a house church? Because I think Westboro Baptist embodies some of those. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a, um, there can certainly be a, uh, a lack of, a, a lack of diversity in in thought, or, um, or an interest. Which can cut both ways. It can be an advantage and a disadvantage, depending on sure, which yeah. uh, which thoughts you are trying to include but certainly if it is just one or two families that are meeting together within you know a few months you're going to kind of know all the theological beliefs of the other family and there's certainly more growth that can be done in your walk with christ and you're and you're going to be reading new reading scriptures again and getting deeper understandings but you're not going to be hearing a whole lot about different doctrinal ideas that 
may or may not be correct. It just, you know, you need to be able to defend your stance. You need to know why you believe something. And if you only live in an echo chamber, then you don't hear that. But, but I would say a lot, a lot of churches like that meet in buildings, you don't get any of that either because it is just, just the pastor saying his own thing and the congregation doesn't even participate in a lot of churches. They just sit there and listen and then they go home. Sometimes they don't even sing. They have a band singing on the stage and they just listen, uh, the, the congregation. So that may be, a, it may be something that doesn't really affect just house churches. Yeah, that's a good point. I think one of the uh, significant challenges for a house church, and I think, again, Westboro is a good example of this, is the if you're not purposeful about figuring out how to do it, there's no built-in accountability structure. Right. So if you've got a group of 10, 12, 18 people that are getting together and they become cult-like in their doctrine and uh, cultish, if you will, and the way we typically in our culture think of that word, in their behavior, uh, what are the checks on that? How, do you, how are they held to account? Who is it that holds them to account? If somebody's a member of that church and they're like, holy cow, my pastor has lost his freaking mind, what do they do about it? Who do they appeal to to maybe begin right. Matthew 18 or something? Yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah, you know, oh. it, it, it's interesting. Just, just sort of a thought, you know, in a, w- with uh, with house churches, the, um, you know, if there is some sort of poison there, the ability of that poison to spread uh, among a lot of people is really limited. So That's you know, this point. is this is an, an advantage in a sense, right? Um, and, and also, the, the, what you just brought up, Troy, I, I think that could just as easily apply to a larger congregation as well. Oh, sure, yeah, no, yeah, having lack of accountability is because, an issue across because the board. Which is how, many, how many churches do you know that actually practice church discipline, actually actively oh, excommunicate people the way Paul talks about? It's just not done. Sure, there, there are... There are instances, but by and large in the American church, I'm using air quotes for those of you listening on the radio, in, in the American church, there really isn't a lot of church discipline. And and part of that is actually uh, the idea that uh, how do you enforce it and what kind of consequence it is, is it to say, hey, we just won't accept you in fellowship. Okay, I'll just go down the street. There's three more churches down the street, right. and none of them are going to have a problem with me. So you have that issue. The, the whole thing about ex Communication being a excommunication being a a, um, a bad thing, as in something that nobody would want to have done to them, is you're going to lose relationships. You're going to lose that sense of community and and really tight knit fellowship, which you are going to more likely have in a home church than you are in a, in a bigger congregation. Yeah, I think that um, I don't, I, and I'm not accusing anybody of this, but I, I'm putting myself in the seat of the listener right now who might not agree with where we're coming at things and they would push back and I think one of the things they could potentially push back is like okay here we go it's what about ism so you're saying oh you guys don't you know house churches don't have accountability but what about these other churches don't have accountability either like okay no we would have to acknowledge it and that's one of the reasons not a huge fan of what has become very mainstream in the American church particularly this uh, CEO model cult of personality, popularity gospel. You've probably heard about prosperity gospel, but this popularity gospel where it's all about my pastor's really popular, he's got a number of bestseller books, and our church is growing by leaps and bounds. Heck, we've, we've got 10,000 people in our church now. We're so popular. 
and and that sort of thing. And we've seen it. If you if you uh, listening are a big fan of the bigger names in uh, American evangelicalism, Mark Driscoll will mean something to you. Right. You know. Well, Mark Driscoll was a superstar. He was an emerging superstar in evangelical circles 15 years ago, and then his whole church fell apart. Why? Lack of accountability. Right, he felt like he was above any accountability. He was doing his own thing, and it, it just completely felt right here in our own uh, backyard. Uh, C.J. Mahaney's church, mm-hmm. a big giant church in the area, uh, very popular, and he was, you know, uh, very good in a lot of ways, very gifted and talented in many ways, and yet accountability issues. So it's not about it's not the size. But my point in bringing that up, though, was with the house church model. It's like a built-in weakness that I think house church leaders should account for we so, should account for accountability like this is so maybe, an achilles heel if we're not careful maybe maybe accountability is not uh the the problem that that's potential there that that would be you know exclusive or even more more of a problem with a house church than with any other church maybe maybe the idea of like isolation you know, there's there, there's a danger of becoming isolated, maybe, in, right. in a house church from the the broader churches. Like a whole. the big, the denominational, the, what we tend to think of as the big denominational brands. You know, the Lutheranism, uh, you know, Methodism, Presbyterian. uh, Presbyterianism, Baptism, you know, not Baptist, Baptist. Uh, <laughs> you know, those sorts of of. Uh, structures have some sort of accountability built into their model right in a, in a congregational baptist setting the the congregation is the accountability structure now whether that's biblical or not is is going to be a, d- a debate that theologians can have but at least it's built into the model the presbyterian model by definition has presbyters that are providing and so there's no built into the model with the house church it's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing here on this faith debate show this is actually an expression of me recognize, so I should back up a little bit. Ten years ago-ish, maybe a little bit more than that, I had the idea of doing a house church thing, but not just doing a standalone house church thing, but being involved in helping to establish uh, a rapidly, as rapidly as the Holy Spirit would, would, would lead, a rapidly growing network of house churches so that I wouldn't just be responsible for helping to lead one small body, but I would also be helpful and responsible to expanding the number of house churches uh, throughout the, 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 the city, the county, the region over time. And as it hit me, I was like, man, that's so leadership intensive. We don't have enough leaders. And we'll talk about that uh, in a second, maybe next, maybe next episode. But finishing the thought, the next thing that hit me was, what are the, the, the mechanistic levers of accountability? And again, to put feet on it, um, to put feet in the shoes on this one. I don't know if it's a metaphor. I just made that up. Uh, if I say something heretical and somebody in my congregation challenges, like, Troy, that's like, that's not biblical at all. I'm like, screw you. I'm right. I'm the pastor. <laughs> they could just say, well, then screw you. I'm not going to be a part of this church anymore. Right. right. But that's not the best first place to start. You want to try to correct the problem. What would be their mechanism if I'm just not hearing them? And I had this conversation with uh, with you guys. I said, you know, I have this problem. You guys have this problem. 
you've probably either already acknowledged it or hearing me say it makes you feel like, yeah, actually, that's, that's a potential problem. How about if we work together? And so we've got the, I mean, uh, Raz isn't here now, but the four of us that are typically going to be here, we're involved with three house churches that can provide some of that. And so, for example, you guys know this, um, the people who are um, members of the house uh, of the church that I lead, the house church that I am pastoring and uh, primarily responsible for, if they have any issue that for some reason they can't come to me with, they have your cell phone numbers. They can text you, call you, reach out to you and say, hey, I know we don't know each other that well, but I know that you're like my escape valve when Troy's lost his ever-loving mind. I need help. Can you give me some counsel here? Can you maybe facilitate a conversation or something like that? So that's why the network idea was important to me right. is so that all those who are primarily the under-shepherd, I understand your point earlier, Daniel, about all of the men and stuff are are involved, but there is somebody that's designated as the under-shepherd for that group that is given some sort of a special kind of responsibility, you know, ordained by God to look over that particular flock. And is, so, is there? well, okay, you're, so you're going to push back on that, okay? Well, yeah, we can, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure that there is necessarily, but we can, we can, that's probably too long of a discussion for this episode. Okay, well, we've got, uh, yeah, we've only got, we can, maybe we'll, we'll pick that up either next episode or the episode after that, because I, I, I'd be curious to see what, what the basis of your pushback would be, because to me, it's, to me, it's clear. So I'd be curious to see. Yeah. Uh, what what your uh, thoughts on that would be? Now, now there are some house churches that are actually part of a larger network. For example, I, I w- attended a house church years ago, and it was a Presbyterian uh, minister. They were ordained Presbyterian minister, and he was part of the larger one of the larger Presbyterian organizations. And he just happened to pastor a church that met in his house, and that rotated among three or four families' houses. So there were only three or four families, but it was for all intents and purposes, a Presbyterian church, and he had the leadership of the Presbytery and all the appeals process that they have, you know, structure to go through with that. So that I think there are house churches that do follow a, a connected structure like you're talking about, Troy. Um, and then there are also house churches that I've either uh, attended or visited that have a structure built in where they, they do have, like you, you mentioned, you know, an escape valve or just an, a process for how to practice church discipline and how to practice accountability. But I, th- I think you're correct that many churches just haven't really thought that far ahead and they're assuming that everything's always going to be hunky-dory and they don't have to worry about that. And to your point before, this might be like the last thought we have a chance to share, but it's um, it's trying putting a, a bow on something that you mentioned, Daniel, about uh, you know all these house churches have an opportunity for all of the men to be involved uh, and all of the people who are members of the church to be involved as opposed to what happens in these big churches where the pastor gets up there, says what he thinks, and nobody else is even involved. They're very passive, and they're just receiving, you know, open up my brain, pour into me what you think I should know, and then sew it back up, and I'll, I'll leave and pretend right. I wasn't here until I come back next week. And that's a real challenge. But because of that, what, have, what are we left with? We're left with a... American church, I would even argue at least a Western church, um, that doesn't have enough people that have the chops to teach and lead and and be under shepherds for God's people. And so right. that was one of the challenges with my idea from 10 years ago, like, hey, we should do this house church thing. But man, it's so leadership intensive. But then the thing that really gave me the motivation was like, 
exactly. How are we ever going to have these kinds of leaders that are out there doing the kinds of things that Christians should be doing if we don't create a, uh, some sort of a format to, to build that kind of a foundation into people's lives? We don't have leaders. You have a, you have a church of 10,000 with one pastor and then a couple, you know, a whole, a whole staff of associate pastors. But out of those 10,000, how many of those 10,000 congregants are leadership material right now? None. Are they being leadership? So, but in a house church network that has 10,000 people in it, how many of them are going to be leadership material? Hundreds. Well, well, out of necessity, yeah, thousands maybe. I don't know, right? It depends how big the, it could be. It could be 500 to 1,000 depending on the size of the house church. So anyway, uh, we, yeah, we got 60 seconds left. So I got this wrong last time, but I do want to have a chance to share um, uh, the conqueredbylove.net is that what conqueredbylove.org dot org conqueredbylove.org conqueredbylove.org uh, my church's website and it can connect to all the social media and things related to this show even by going to householdoffaithinchrist.com householdoffaithinchrist.com and let me end by saying this you have a problem whether you acknowledge it or not and that problem is that you have done at least one wrong thing in your life and there's a solution to that problem, and that solution is Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, what I'm saying to you isn't earth-shattering. If you're not a Christian, it might not even be earth-shattering. Yeah, I've heard this before, too. But if you don't really understand the profound truth of that, the profound necessity for having a solution to that profound problem, I would encourage you to reach out to any one of us who are on this panel. I'd love to talk with you about it more. You have a problem. It's an eternal problem. It is a major problem, but there is an eternal solution. His name is Jesus Christ. I would invite you to inquire more and to turn your life over by, by repentance and submission to him as your Lord and Savior and King. Till next week, God bless. All right. I almost forgot. I want to make sure either at the beginning or the end of good, each Good job getting that in there, Troy. We do something that talks about the gospel. And I left myself yes. a little short on time, so it wasn't as... Well, I really threw you for a curveball there, right? A, what do you think? What do you think? House search? Cult. <laughs> I'm telling you, I haven't heard that. that yet. Have you heard anybody that you talk about you're doing a house church and they mention to you, yeah, I have to, tell, uh, I have to make I, sure I, they know I'm not a cult leader. I, I have not <laughs> run into that now, but... Uh, I haven't had anybody say that to me. But, but you, you just assume they might I've be been, thinking it? I've, I've been trying to, trying to think if somebody never heard, heard of the idea of a house church as like a legitimate form of church uh, ten, structure. Ten years ago, that would have been my assumption. Ten years ago? Yeah. That if they're in a house church, there's a potential to be a cult. That, yeah, I would, I, would, yeah. I, I would wonder. I just came across a cult recently that's... With a, a involved in the house church movement, and they actually go from house church to house church, to try to gather people into their cult. They come in and they visit. We we were visited by um, uh, some people, and and their they uh, their purpose is to gather you into their doctrines, um, which are very heretical. So it does exist, but uh, no, I, th I think. Yeah. The majority of people now that say, oh, I'm in a house church, are, are quite more likely to be believers than unbelievers. Right, particularly for what's been going on in our world, right? Right. Yeah. And that's another reason for the house churches is, is, is because they're less structured than they, they uh, have the potential for 
less ability to be squashed by tyrannical governments. Yeah. Because they're not as connected. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm ready to just get going, and we can pick up with where you kind of left off on some of these dang dangling participles. And where, sure. where did we leave off? Well, we wanted to talk about the, <laughs> you know, uh, whether or not uh, what the Bible would mean by uh, uh, what I would call the, you know, the the, the idea about an under shepherd. Okay. Because Daniel's yeah. pushing back on that. Yeah. And we can talk about some of the uh, advantages of doing a house church. I, I had mentioned, I framed it as what are some of the advantages and disadvantages. Let's start with the disadvantages. And then we just spent the whole rest of the show on that. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, sounds good. All right. <laughs> so how many people are watching us on Facebook? I can't tell. You I'm not sure if he's watching now or not, but... I do know that we do our, on our, for our church, we do Facebook Live for our Saturday, uh, for a portion of our time together on Saturday. And I typically only have three, four, five people that are watching it live as it's happening. But then by the next week, when we're doing the next one, you know, the number of views is usually well over 100, sometimes like wow. 150, 175. So there's some people that are, are you know, are capturing an, at least some of it. So this is getting some right. traction. So we'll see. This is different than that. So we'll, right. see. Yeah. we'll see how it goes. Welcome to the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD. I'm Troy Skinner. You are you. He's Daniel Rasby, and he's... <laughs> I don't know. I'm punchy. I don't know. I'm just... I'm, I'm totally punchy. Anyway, so David. you rescue me. David Forsey is the closest to me. He can rescue me if I get too punchy. Oh, man. So let me start and tell you why I'm punchy. So uh, we record this show in advance, and so this is a weeknight when we're recording it. I went to the dentist today. And these dentists, I don't think they use Novocaine anymore. No? I, 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 think, I think they use something besides Novocaine. Uh, and actually, I went online to look and see if, that, if I, my suspicion is correct, and it seems I'm correct. It seems like Novocaine's still out there, but there's this new thing. I think it starts with the letter I, if I'm not mistaken. That's like a replacement for Ivocaine. Novocaine. Huh? Ivocaine? Is that a thing? I, I'm not sure. Oh, anyway. I know Iocaine is from Princess Bride. <laughs> oh, well, maybe that's it's that. That's the poison. Well, that's what they're using now. They're poisoning me. Iocaine powder. So, but anyway, I'm telling it, it, you know, kind of felt the same going in, except I will say you guys have had Novocaine at some point in your life. Both of you? Um, no? Yes, I, I, I have once. Probably. Yeah, they take a needle and they jab it in your mouth. You'd remember. You wouldn't forget this. <laughs> it would be a long time ago at this point. Anyway, it hurts, right? <laughs> They're sticking a needle in your mouth. It hurts. Well, I will say that either the dentist was really good at being gentle because it didn't hurt anywhere near as much when he jabbed me. Uh, so that was. So I'm thinking either he's really good at this, or maybe this isn't Novocaine. Maybe there's a different product. Well, Novocaine. My experience. I've had Novocaine shots. I don't know how many times, but a number of times over the years. And I'm telling you, in the past, my face would be numb. You know that Novocaine. You're, Faces numb, right. it starts to tingle and come back to life over time. And that tingling come back to life thing, usually hour and a half, two hours later, like you have your face back. Right? And then you can eat. Because you don't want to eat when you're loaded up with Novocaine because you're gonna chew the snot out of your nose and side of your face and your lip and stuff. You, you the chances of you biting yourself are pretty high. So you wanna wait till it wears off. Well, this other stuff they stick you with now that I'm pretty sure I was stuck with, it lasts longer. 
Mm. And if it's the stuff that I think I got stuck with that I think starts with letter I, it says online that it lasts for three to six hours. So that's pretty significant. That's like four times longer maybe than the old stuff, or at least twice as long as the old stuff well, thankfully would last. your speech is, is pretty clear. It doesn't seem inhibited. Yeah, well, that's because I'm so unclear. Usually you can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, on top of that, I was dead tired. I never was dead tired after a Novogaine shot. Mm, so I think one of the side effects is, is causing drowsiness. And I had a massive headache for like an hour and a half. And I never had a headache with Novocaine before. Well, you could take a nap and we'll finish this, uh, you know, this so, show ourselves here. <laughs> so, I'm, um, I'm drugged. I've been drugged. You've been drugged. Yeah, the guy in the wilderness got the little blow dart and hit me with the blow dart, and I am loopy. So I'm a little bit crazy right now. <laughs> so, um, but I'm, I'm not so crazy that I don't want to tell you about this. This is me in all sincerity. I le ended the show last week, but I'm going to make sure we do it at the beginning of the show this week. And you're going to start to hear this as a habit. So either beginning of the show, end of the show, somewhere in the middle of the show. Uh, time is short. I think time is short, just globally speaking. Generally, we don't know when the end is going to come. And by short, it, it could mean a thousand years. It could mean a year. It could mean a day. I mean, we don't know. But in the grand scheme of things, short, right? <laughs> We're not. It's unlikely that we've got billions and billions and billions of years ahead of us. So time is short. But even for you hearing my voice, your time is short. Because even if the planet continues to exist for another hundred years, you won't be here to see that in all likelihood. You might not be here to see the end of the next decade. That's possible. We could leave here today, the three of us, and on our way home, it's lights out. Like, time is short. We only got so much time. And so, shame on me for not making this a more urgent part of the show in the past, but uh, given the climate of the times and my, uh, the, the, the current strength of my convictions, I want to make sure that people hear what the gospel is. So you guys had kind of a heads-up warning that you might be asked to kind of just share an elevator speech version of the gospel, you know, 90 seconds or less if possible. Would one of you want to step forward and for the uninitiated or for those who need to be reminded what they feel like they already know, what the gospel message is? Well, uh, the gospel <clears throat> is good news. And it's there's only good news if there is... Uh, something bad first, uh, right? And the the bad news is that um, that that we're all imperfect, and we have all uh, offended the God who made us, and uh, and so because of that, because of our our sin, uh, we we deserve. Uh, well, you, you were talking about how time is short. Well, there's also an eternity ahead for each of us. You know, our time here is short, certainly, and even, you know, the the length of that shortness we don't know. But uh but there is an eternity ahead and uh and our our offenses against God um those uh, those mean the bad news that we uh we cannot be with him in eternity and we uh we have to suffer uh, eternal judgment for for our sin um, so the good news is that uh, that God has made a way 
uh, for us to be um, cleansed, made right, um, for us to be forgiven uh, of our sins. And, uh, and that way is Jesus. Um, and by faith in him, we can spend our eternity with God. Uh, by faith in uh, the perfection of Jesus um, and in his power over, uh, over sin and, uh, and over death. Uh, proved by his by his resurrection, so so repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen. Right. Uh, that was the voice of David Forsey. He's the pastor of the house that meets at David house, David's house. It is a <laughs> house church on the southern end of Frederick County, and on the other end of the county, there's a house church that's connected with Conquered by Love Ministries. I'm not sure if that church really has an official name either, really uh, but their <laughs> ministry has a website. It's ConqueredByLove.org. And so you can find out, and it's it's pretty cool resources. It's mostly focused on child rearing kinds of things, like how to raise your kids, uh, and to conquer them with love. You know, to uh, uh, conquer them unto obedience, conquer them unto a successful life, conquer them unto all the blessings that God would have for them uh, through uh, biblical principles applied to everyday lives, in a, particularly in a parenting context. I'm not sure if that's how they would say it, but that's kind of the way I understand what that ministry is all about. They've written a number of booklets, several dozen booklets, I think. Right. Um, uh, I mean, I say booklets because books can scare people. Basically, the booklet, they're like long articles, Okay, they're like 30, 40 pages, 50 pages. Yeah, they're really long articles that are bound together that are focusing on it. So you can kind of check some of that out. And they're, 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 their stuff is, is pretty darn pretty darn good. And then I, I Troy Skinner, I'm the pastor of Household of Faith in Christ. That's kind of uh, equidistant between these other two house churches, uh, as, it, as it turns out. And so last week we started talking about we all do house church. We all lead house churches. And so Why? And we began to ask that question by looking at advantages and disadvantages, and we decided to start with looking at the disadvantages. So after last week's show, nobody would ever want to join a house church because we talked about <laughs> all the disadvantages. But now we're going to try to really back in. <laughs> so some of the advantages. What are the, what are the I, I, I could go on forever. I'm going to let you guys go on forever. What are some <laughs> of the really cool, nice, attractive, beneficial things about being a part of a house church? I would say the number one advantage is aside from it's the biblically prescribed method and everybody should be doing it. Uh, Ooh, score! Uh, the, the Everyone else is a heretic. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um, no, but, but the, the number one advantage, I, I would say, or at least really, up, really far up there, is the much tighter and close fellowship you get with other believers for being in a house church as opposed to a church that meets together in a building someplace. And you get them every, every once in a while. There's there's a church that I'll go and visit. And they are a really close group of people. But the larger the group gets, and, that, and that's the function of being in house churches, you don't get a very large group. I mean, some there's some managements that could fit 100 people in their living room, but that's about the most you can get. Um, and, and so if it gets much larger than that, you have to be in a building, and, and suddenly you don't have a close relationship. How many best friends can you have? I mean, maybe you can have... If you're me, none. <laughs> but how, Nobody how many, likes me that much. How many people can you really have a strong relationship with outside your immediate family? And you, you, the smaller that group of believers is, the, the deeper that relationship is. And I think that's, that's a very wholesome experience. Yeah, I, I guess to, to add to that, I would, I would say, just to, to build on that, right, is um, 
you know, larger larger churches will uh, will try and still accomplish those close relationships, right? With mm-hmm. Bible studies, small right. groups, you know, that have various and sundry names, um, you know. But always these very clever marketing names, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, you know, but the I guess the advantage of the the house church, the way that I would say that is uh is that right well then then you have your small group and then and then you also have you know which probably meets at your house you know or or your friend's house uh and then you have your your larger gathering which then meets at a building and and so uh so now your 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 time your energy your attention is sort of divided it's not just focused on that smaller group it's also focused right. on the larger group in the building where the larger group meets and and everything that goes along with that as well and so uh all that all that to say the the advantage isn't just of the the closeness but of the um the amount of time and energy that you can put towards those relationships right. and how much you each member of the congregation is participating in the the main functions of the church Right. Instead of just going, I think I think sometimes people go to church like you go to a movie or you go to a concert, and you go and sit there in the pew and you listen and then you go home, and unless you are one of the people that's heavily involved in all the church activities and ministries and all of that, which by percentage is not very many in in a normal church, right? Um, then yeah, yeah. You don't have in, a, that. in a house church you can't avoid going to the small group. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah the church is, uh, is the small group. Yeah, uh, so one of the things, uh, I hadn't even thought about this, so that's why I love doing this show. Uh, David, you talked about the, the administrative concerns not being there. And having been... Uh, yeah, a lack pa- of distractions. Yeah, having been a pastor of a church with a building, you know, uh, I've been three different places where I was, you know, in, in a pastoral role where we had a building, and it never occurred to me to think about it this way, but thank you for this. Whenever we would have our leadership, you know, our elder meetings, um, well, one of the churches wasn't elder-led. It's something I was working towards changing. Uh, it was uh, board-led and not an elder board, you know, the uh, right. kind of the civil board model, if you will, the secular the, the, board the model. The trustee board. Exactly. Don't get me started. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so much of our time in those meetings we're addressing building issues. Mm-hmm. You know, the right. the HVAC is on the fritz. It's going to cost us $17,000 to replace it. What are we going to do? Or Who wants to sign up to clean up next week after Exactly. Church? And people are upset about the color on the walls, so we need to form a committee to figure out what paint color to choose and what carpet would be a good complement for that. And you start talking about all these issues that have nothing to do with what elders are primarily called to be dealing with, right? Which is the, the, the spiritual health and direction and you know, praying for the people and, and, and discussing how you're going to invest in somebody's I life. Wouldn't, I wouldn't just say elders, though. I mean, I'd say, you know, these are, should not be the primary concerns of anyone in the church. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, but I'm saying it, it, when elders are specifically tasked... Right. With the spiritual well-being of the church and and teaching and leading, you know the church as the church, and you're spending all your time worrying about and, and the bigger churches. They had to create an extra biblical uh, pastor's position. 
It's we, called the executive pastor. Mm-hmm. That person, that pastor doesn't really teach her. I mean, well, they might teach a, on occasion, but that's not their prim- Their role is to handle all the building nonsense and all those infrastructure issues. Well, there's an example in Acts 7, right, of the church getting too big in uh, in Jerusalem. And the, and the elders, the apostles, came together and they said, look, we're getting too bogged down with all these unnecessary details about, you know, how to care for this thing and that thing. Here was a point well, of people. Yeah, unnecessary details like caring for the orphans and the widows. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, it, but, but it's in that same vein, right, is that there's, it was, the church was now so large that the apostles could not do all of those things at once. So they, they delegated and they appointed different people. And then God actually took care of that problem in the next chapter with the death of Stephen and the intense persecution, and he spread everybody out. And now they had to meet in houses. And they didn't have that issue anymore. Um, well, anyway. they, you know, they still had the issue because they still had deacons. So I think, I think even in a house church, let's say we could, you know, somehow poof, you know, Puff the Magic Dragon shows up and poof, there are no more... Uh, institutionalized churches with buildings anymore, and every Christian is gathering in a house church in and around Frederick County. So that's the new reality. And you, that will, you, that... You'd still need a diaconate because the people who are preparing the messages, leading the teaching, dealing with the pastoral counseling issues, yeah. those sorts of things, still aren't going to have enough time and energy to focus on the other things but, that the deacons take care of. But the diaconate would not be worried about the carpet and right. the walls and the lawn. Exactly. You know, They'd be focusing except, on what the diaconate is supposed to be focusing except on. Except at their own houses, right? <laughs> right? And at the houses of, you know, of the widows. <laughs> right. You know, and, and right. so so all of the resources and energy would be going directly into serving people. Now, one of the advantages, and I agree, but for somebody who's not thinking in terms of it being an advantage, it could be seen as a disadvantage, is, wait a minute, like, I can't just go to your church and hide? Like, I have to be involved, and I'll be seen, and people might expect me to maybe, like, say hello and and participate and, and grow. share a meal afterwards. Yeah, and grow in my walk with, with the Lord and actually be able to contribute something. Like, uh, uh, that doesn't sound good to me. Um, but, but seriously, it might not, you know, in your fleshly nature might not sound like a good thing, but I'm telling you, if you're going to a church because it's safe and you can kind of hide and disappear, you're going to one of the bigger churches in Frederick County, for example, and there's several from which you could choose where you could easily hide. Uh, you could, you could go to that church for three years and then stop going. And I don't know that in some of these churches they would ever notice. Right. Where if somebody comes to one of our churches for three years and they stop coming, they miss a week and we notice. It's like, where's so-and-so? I hope they're okay. I'm, they normally would have texted me or called me, said they couldn't make it this week. Like, what's going on? And you, see, you can't hide. But that's a good thing, right? Do you want to be invisible? Do you want to be have all lack of accountability in your life? You want to have, do you want to have no opportunities to, to uh, exercise certain muscles and get good at, you know, uh, providing a defense for the faith and giving a reason for the hope that lies within and being able to share the gospel with people and be comfortable praying in front of other people. You know, somebody's at the hospital and you... Well, I don't know. You guys have kind of grown up immersed in the church. So you might not have... uh, But I can promise you, there are people that they're at the hospital visiting a loved one or a dear friend, you know, family member, dear friend, something, and they feel they're a Christian... You know, they go to church. They feel like, I, I want to read a passage of the scripture to them, or I want to pray 
for them. And they can't. They can't muster it up. They're just not comfortable. It's like, I've never prayed aloud in front of somebody before. I, I can't do it. Do you want to be that person? Do, listener, do you want to be that person? The person who feels this compunction to pray, and yet, but I can't. In a house church setting, you're going to have an opportunity in a, in, a, in a safe environment to begin to develop that sort of comfort level and and, and practice those sorts of skills, if you will, so that when you're out there in an unsafe environment, it'll just be a matter of course. Like, of course I'm going to pray with you. I pray in front of people all the time. If you're, if you're a Christian and if you're actually saved, you need to be ready for the three Ps in any moment. And I'm almost noticed you have to be able to preach, pray, or perish without any warning. And... I, th- I think that's that's important, and, and stop and think about that. That's that's what we're called to do. My wife post-pregnancy would add a fourth P to that. All of our wives post-pregnancy would add a fourth P to that. Actually, go PP. You got to be ready to go PP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whether, you, whether you're ready or not, it might happen. <laughs> but, so I, I I think that maybe leads into another advantage of uh, right with Troy with you talking about the the disadvantage of being able to hide and the disad, you know in a larger church uh, be you know be not known by other people very well um, or the uh, the disadvantage of not feeling comfortable praying or not being practiced you know at, at praying those are so the flip side advantage of of a of a house church or a smaller setting right of believers gathering together is those those things have to be done, and so people have to do them. Uh, and so the advantage is, uh, is is putting those 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 things into practice. And, and you may find that people are a bit more authentic in that setting. You can get a feel for who people actually are uh, in in a larger church. You don't really know any of those people. You don't know how strong of a believer people are, and it's harder to find someone that it's that you can feel comfortable having a deep conversation, asking for prayer about a very delicate, intimate situation that's happening in your life. Whereas at a, at a home church, you would presumably have more than one person that you know really well that you can go and ask for a prayer on something. And it doesn't happen immediately. It's not like if you've never been to the house church before, you go for the first time, Hmm. that that very first week you're going to feel this authentic connection and automatic comfort level because relationships are built. But I will say this. I've been to churches where I was a member for many, many years, and you get to recognize faces. You get to have the happy talk moments with, hey, how was your week? Good to see you. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's all very surface level. It doesn't even oftentimes rise to the level of small talk. It's just merely those greetings exchanged, and that's about it. And that's all you really know of the person. And then you find out that somebody's having a hard time. Their, mo- their, uh, you know, their mother's uh, had cancer for the last four months, and you, and you just find out about it. Or a marriage is in distress, and you had no idea. And you're like, wow, what? I thought everything. But in the house church context... If you spend a period of time in the house church, it, it, I'm not sure how long it takes. It's different for every personality type. But inside of months, you begin to turn that corner. And it's no longer the small talk. Uh, it's no longer even the cocktail language talk. It's no longer even just the surface level, I'm pretending to have a conversation with you. 
it gets to the point where you actually have real conversations about real things that matter. Um, and you might never get to that place in a more traditional setting. And, and I th think a lot of that it comes with, with sharing a meal as well. And I think that's common. I don't know if you do it in, in, in your mm -hmm. gathering, uh, David, on a regular basis, but yeah. most of the house churches, if not all the ho home churches that I've either visited or been a part of, one of the core things they do is either before or after the church service, whether it's on a Saturday, on a Sunday, in the morning, in the evening, everybody does it differently. But whatever it is, also, there will also be a meal around that, and it'll be every week. So you'll get some churches, some mainstream churches, that'll have a fellowship meal maybe once a month, every couple months. And those are usually the mid-sized churches, a couple hundred people. You know, they'll get together for a fellowship meal, like a potluck. Or as some of the mega churches, they'll have a cookouts every now and then for, at various places. But you don't get that every week we're having our meal together. And we're breaking bread together, which is something that you see the early church doing in the New Testament. This example of yeah. you come together to break bread and you're 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 sharing a meal together. That's a that's a place to build relationships, and you have some of those deep conversations. All right, believe it or not, we've reached the end of another show, Graham. Uh, Daniel Razvi is uh, involved with uh, a house church leadership at a house church and uh, a ministry connected to that called Conquered by Love. Uh, ministries and conqueredbylove.org is their website. Uh, David, I don't think you have any sort of hip website thing or even social media presence for that matter. He's like invisible on the internet practically. I think I post once a year. Once a year? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right then. That's more than I post. Somewhere. <laughs> Somewhere out there you might be able to find <laughs> David Forsey. Uh, actually, the largest presence he might have on the internet is on uh, my church's website. <laughs> household... If you want to get a hold of me, yeah. call Troy. <laughs> so, and we're householdoffaithinchrist.com. Uh, and um, I wanted to make a note to do this. I don't have time because I've got like 20 seconds. But remind me, next show, I want to talk about one of the benefits and reasons why our church actually went through the, the, the hassle of building a website because it, it connects to some of the things that we're, okay. we're talking about. This is the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD. We'll be back next week, about 167 and a half hours from right now. Until then, thanks so much for listening and God bless. Two down. Two down. Two down. How many are we doing today? Eight, I don't know nine, why. Ten. I don't know why, but the second show felt shorter to me. It because felt you, spent, you spent the me. first ten minutes talking about your dental appointment. That's why. <laughs> is that why? Yeah, that's. I was thinking that during that time. This is a great story. We might have to use the whole episode just on the dentist, though. <laughs> well, we'll get into. Uh, let's should see. I so, should I laugh away from the microphone, Troy? No, no, okay. we're fine. All right. No, I mean, you're talking because at one time the, the, the needles kind of went up, but you, I don't think it like completely pegged a distortion. All right. And for some reason, I don't know why, but they've got to recalibrate these mics on this board because I've got the, the slide fades all the way up. And you guys are speaking right into the microphone, and I'm not getting Well, I'm, I'm kind of speaking like this. So I'm maybe, not getting enough levels. I, do this? I mean, it's okay, but it's like barely okay Should levels. Try, try really it again. Put it, put it on. Listen, listen again. See if this is any better. All right. Can you, can you get a better... Signal this way. It's because now I'm actually speaking into the, into the mic. It's probably Before, fifty. It's probably fifty percent better. So okay. So let's do that then. Uh, I'll I'll try to turn this so, this way so I can still see anyway. you and talk. All right. Now I'm out of.
We don't want to get too good at this, or they'll think we're professional broadcasters. <laughs> oh, the horror. <laughs> Amateurs. Amateurs. Yeah, we want to maintain our amateur status. We didn't get to the, we didn't get to the pastor model. No, we didn't, so. I, I'd like to talk about what is it like to have a church on a service? What is a service like at a house yeah, church? Yeah, no, that's actually was next on my list. How does how does your church do things? Which is going to be talking about how the I service think that's, comes together. That's what we get to. Why house church? Because I, yeah. I read the Bible. I say, okay, well, what do they do? Let's well, do that. We are the way I had things designated. I had because we're, we're hoping to do five shows tonight, and I had like five general topics that I thought would kind of be the umbrellas for each episode and it took us two episodes to cover the one umbrella so we're behind but i'm feeling like maybe in the course of talking about some other things some of the at least one of the other umbrellas will accidentally get addressed and so and if not no biggie but we're we got plenty of six shows or seven shows we got plenty of plenty of well i'll I'll do five yeah at some point we're gonna run out of gas and you'll be doing shows by himself at uh, 11.30 tonight. <laughs> at, at some point, we'll run out of gas. So we, we Why would anybody want to go to sleep before midnight? Uh, I don't get it. You're yeah. only in your 20s. You wait. You'd be an old man like me. You won't make it too much past 9.30. Well, you can also sleep in later to make up for it, which is what I do. Why is it that? What the heck is that? There we go. So the next one's airing on uh, October 17th. All right. So our last one will be like a Halloween episode. Is that right? <laughs> how exciting <laughs> is that? We should probably mention something about that. Oh and my how, goodness! How demonic the holiday is, and don't celebrate it. Yeah. Well, if you want to do that as a as an aside, <laughs> it'll be the thirty first. So maybe. Um, wait, wait. So this 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 third episode is the seventeenth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, the fifth one's the 31st. Okay. We'll get our ghoul on. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you're hanging in there with this Facebook Live, we appreciate it. Let's get this ball rolling. Welcome to the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD, online at WFMD.com. And last I heard, we were still on the FM at 99.9 HD2. So if you're one of those fancy, expensive radios, you dirty, rotten capitalist you, then you can listen to us there, because not everybody's got one of those kinds of radios. Uh, and you can vo- if you aren't listening to it live, or you, you catch us in the middle, or you, you want to well, listen back so you can laugh at things we've said, uh, it'll be available via podcast. And it's already available on Facebook somewhere. And it'll probably actually be on the Household of Faith in Christ. Yeah, and you know what? It'll be on the Household of Faith in Christ YouTube channel. So uh, we're, we're doing video of, of this as we record the audio for this. So if you want to watch the video, go to uh, YouTube, find the ho- Household of Faith in Christ. I know it's a mouthful, but that's the name of the church. So Household of Faith in Christ. We have a YouTube channel, and all of our sermons are up there, uh, and now all of our faith debate shows that we happen to do via Facebook Live, we'll put those up there too. What the heck? That way you can follow along, follow along with our madness and nonsense. Um, all right, so uh, Raz Imran Raz Razvi is uh, 
is not with us uh, for this recording session. Maybe he'll join us before our recording time is out. Maybe he'll, but uh, unlikely. But I want to give him a shout out because he's a part of this panel, a part of what we're we're doing here with the uh, newly relaunched Faith Debate Show. His son here, uh, Daniel, is here, and he's also involved with the same house church that the Imran. Uh, is involved with leading, and they have a ministry, Conquered by Love Ministries, online at conqueredbylove.org. And uh, David Forsey doesn't have a website, but he's uh, he's cool nonetheless. You just got to look <laughs> at him and say, that man oozes cool. Are you feeling particularly sexy today or what? I mean, look at this guy. I feel the same as any other day. Oh, so he's feeling as sexy as he does every day. <laughs> anyway, David Forsey's the pastor of a house church, uh, as am I, and my house church actually has a name. And I alluded to this, I think, in between shows. Maybe I mentioned at the very end of last week's show. Why would a house church have a website? Why in the world would we have a website? There's a couple of reasons, at least a couple of reasons. One of the reasons uh, is that there are people who want to kind of connect with and check out a house church. But how do you find them? <laughs> so I wanted to lay some breadcrumbs out there on the internet so that if somebody's actually researching and looking to find a house church, they have a shot at finding at least one. And if they find me, I could help them to find another one if they don't want to be a part of what my church is all about and doing. And people, so People won't, you know, go to the local inn and ask around, you know, at the... Uh... At the tables and... I think, you know, I think most people probably would do that, but for the one who won't. <laughs> so, so there's that. The other thing is we've talked about this either last week's show or the show before. They've run together in my mind now. But talking about, oh, it was the very first show we did on this topic about house churches, where Daniel said the first thing most people probably think when they hear house church is cult. Uh, and that is one of the weaknesses. What do these house churches stand for? What do they believe? What's their statement of faith? You know, what are they all about? And well, having a website with uh, clearly articulated belief statements out there and uh, sermon messages and other blog postings and things out there for public consumption, they can make a determination. Now, you might see all the things that I'm putting out there on Household of Faith in Christ.com and be like, yep, cult. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Then don't be a part of what we're doing if you think we're a cult. But uh, the only way you would think that we're a cult is if you think that a Bible-believing, Bible-following, Christ-exalting, <laughs> God-honoring churches are cults. Uh, and if that's the case, I would love to talk with you and, uh, and, uh, and see, you know, where your thinking is and all of that. But anyway, so those are a couple of the reasons. The other thing is it, um, it provides a uh, part of the mechanism, just like this show does, part of the mechanism for, for having some sort of glue and stickiness for the network. Like right now I say network. There's three churches that are doing something together, and that something is mostly the faith debate. But it's also some mutual accountability, at least from my side of the fence. It's accountability for me with the people who are members in my church that if I go haywire, you know, they can contact uh, David or Daniel or, or Imran. And, um, and as other churches might join in with that level of, re of relationship, uh, the website could provide more stickiness and more, not more legitimacy, but it would feel like it's more real. Like, oh, yeah, we're actually doing something together. Look, we're all connected on this website thing. And maybe if we got more churches involved, maybe we'd start having them in as as participants and guests on occasion with the Faith Debate Show or, or something and deepen the relationship with that. So there's at least those three reasons why I wanted to do the website. Um, 
one of the probably the primary primary reason was I didn't think of it in terms of them thinking I was a cult, but I wanted to have like a, a really easy place to point people to when they start talking like and. and you talk to somebody for a half hour, and they get a beginning to sense of what you're about, but they don't know enough. Well, it's, it's so, good to have something down in writing, yeah, so that uh, you know people know that you've this is this is what you believe. It's all laid out, and uh, and so so they don't feel like you can dance around and be constantly changing and. Yeah. So we yeah, and so if I do uh, do something that's if I say something, preach something, teach something that's in contrary to what's on the website as our official statement of faith, you right. know, beliefs, like right. they've got something to say, hey, you're not even agreeing with your own stuff here. What's going on? Yeah. So um, so this is our third show on this topic. First top show was mostly what are the disadvantages or potential pitfalls that house churches have to be aware of. Uh, last show was mostly, uh, other than me spending about four, four to five hours about my dental appointment. Uh, after that four or five hour story about my dental appointment, we talked about the advantages uh, of built into doing a house church model thing. And now we've talked about the, some of the reasons and that we're doing the specific expression of what we're doing. But now let's talk about what it looks and feels like. So... I don't know which one. Maybe, Danny, you want to go first? Because I think last week uh, I had uh, uh, asked David to go first. So, Daniel, maybe you could start. Sure. Somebody comes to your house church for the first time, and they're going to experience what? What's going to happen? What are they going to see? So I, I'm a big fan of not having anything rigid in stone. So it's not going to look exactly the same every week. Um, I don't think that, the, that there's really a lot of biblical precedent for having a solid structure. This is what you must do. Uh, and... I've seen some churches, for example, where they have everything planned down to the second. We're going to spend 45 seconds on that, and then a minute 20 on this, and then we're going to do, th- you know, 13 minutes on. Like this is a little bit too much. There's You've no seen room. that in house churches? Not in house churches. Okay, yeah, no. Cause, yeah. No, no, no. But I've I've seen it in, for for uh, mainstream churches, but yeah, but and that's because there's pressure on the, having been in that role. There's pressure on the pastor to hit the, to hit the post. You know, it's a radio exactly. term, right? You have, to, you have to end on time. Right. There's pressure, so you have to so, allocate certain seconds, literally amount of seconds. House churches don't have that. No, and so you generally gather, and when there's, there's enough people gathered that you feel like, okay, that's probably all who's coming now. Let's go ahead and get started, and so we'll sing hymns, and I think sing, singing hymns is important. I think it's important for the whole congregation to be singing. I'm, I have some very, um, you could say, peculiar or dogmatic positions on music in church that we maybe can get into someday, uh, but we don't have time for now. Um, so we'll, I'll, uh, I'll stick with the statement that in our church, we have a strong stance on hymns only from a traditional hymnal and no other music, and the only instruments that are used is piano. Um, that's how we do it. Uh, that's not to say it's the only way to do it, but... It's it's within my uh, pretty str- strong guidelines on music in church. So anyway, we sing, and anybody in the congregation can request any hymn they want in the hymnal. They just call out the number, and we play it and sing it, and we go on and on for you know at least half an hour or so. Um, By the way, having visited your your church one time, uh, and Daniel's at least when I was there, you were the pianist. I'm yeah. assuming you might be the the guy who That's does right. the piano all the time. And they're calling out the hymn numbers, and he knows them all. <laughs> he knows them all. By number, like that's what we'll do for you know maybe half an hour. Or so I, I like to you, think it's a little start, longer. You start with music. We start with music. Okay. We may we may pray to open up 
you know, but uh, one of the men may pray um, to, uh, to start, but then we'll do we'll start with music for a, at least half an hour, which I, I like to think is is probably longer than a lot of churches spend on um, hymn singing, at least in a, in a set um, together. Mm-hmm. But then and then we'll have time for any man, and we make it very clear any man or boy or anybody, any male, no women, um, can can speak as they're led, um, and we'll make a semblance of, uh, of a organization ahead of time trying to get somebody that has something prepared, at least, you know, 15, 20 minutes or longer, half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever they want to speak on about Scripture, um, so that, we're, I mean, we're not all just sitting in silence until somebody gets a word. Now, when I was there, Imran was the one who led that, but he doesn't do it every week. No, it's, it depends on the week. Gotcha, uh, okay. So it can be any, any man who... It has been led by something, and if if you were assigned to, you know, biological man, yes, okay, yes, just clarify, actual man, keep saying man, not a man who thinks he's a woman. I'm sure at some point we'll have a discussion on the roles of men and women. Yes, yes, (laughs) Yes. yeah, maybe not tonight as we record this this morning as you're listening to it. Right, but uh, right. So anyway, um, so there'll be there'll be somebody that's been assigned to speak, and he could just read a chapter and say a few words about it. There's not nothing uh, there, but it, it may be 45 minutes, an hour long of of discussion. But during that time, any other man who's there can, you know, interject, not interrupt, but interject, you know, at a pause or whatever. Either ask a question, add something, make a comment, disagree, any of those things, and that's not only accepted but strongly encouraged. Um, and so it, it begins to feel a little bit more like a Bible study, still more, still more like a church, and then only the men are speaking. It's not. I mean, in Bible study, sometimes you may have women that, that are also contributing, but in this in this case, we, we have it um, structured as a as a church service. So that'll go on until people are done with that, and it could be fifteen minutes, it could be an hour and fifteen minutes, but it's a, it's around you know decent amount of time, and then we'll sing again, and and pray. We usually pray at the end of the at the end of the. You could call it a sermon or you know a discussion. We'll pray at the end of that. Any man who wants to add something to the prayer can do that as well. And then when it's it's done, somebody closes, and then we sing another hymn, and that's it. But then, either after or before, depending on the time of day, we'll have the, a meal together. And during and after the meal and the whole rest of the day, people are discussing deep scriptural topics about whatever's on their mind. In addition to anything else, it's not required to talk about scripture the whole time, but it ends up being very deep theological talk topics, um, you know, such as the Trinity. How do we define the Trinity? How do, where do we get all that from the scripture? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. How do you, how do you have, you know, so so all those different things. So that that's kind of part of it, even though that's not the church service. So we don't have any prohibition on women speaking for you know fellowship meal or anything like that. People can have a conversation. But I don't know if that gives you an idea. Yeah, so there's a general uh, vibe. It it's uh, it's like everybody comes over for the family Thanksgiving meal, and mm-hmm. during that there's a time set aside for singing hymns of, of worship and hearing some sort of lesson uh, right. from or about the Bible and that, that sort of a thing. That's right? Right. And it's a, it's a long thing, right? From the time the first people show up, to the time the last people leave is how long? 12, Ten hours? Twelve, 12 hours. hours. I mean, yeah, so it's long. You guys, what you guys do is a long, it's a day-long thing. It's a day of rest. You have a Sabbath, you rest, and uh, I think that's, uh, it, it, you can rejuvenate by having deep conversation with other believers. Okay, now, uh, so that's what goes on with the uh, 
the house that meets at Imran's house. Uh, <laughs> what goes on at the, uh, the church that meets at uh, David's house? Um, well, we, uh, we have a pretty, pretty set sort of schedule or pattern, I guess. Um, we'll start off by, uh, by reading scripture. Um, and uh, it, may be, it may be the, the same scripture for uh, for a number of different weeks, sort of a, uh, a setting a setting the tone of our time together. Um, so, so for the last last month or so, I guess we've been uh, reading Deuteronomy six. Uh, and that's to, chosen ahead of time. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and then uh, then we have sort of a uh, uh, an orderly way of randomly selecting a a psalm that we'll read together. So uh, we just sort of work our way way through the psalms, and uh, so each Sunday we'll read the, the psalm that that is for that Sunday. Um, and, and we'll use, the, and then we'll, then we'll go into a, a time of prayer together. And uh, using, using the, the psalm as our, our pattern for prayer, our, uh, our guide, our help, um, and when you're choosing what's going to be the focus of the teaching or choosing the psalm, because uh, you've said we, it might be more kind of the royal we, because it's pretty much you're right. kind of making the, and driving those decisions, right? Because the reason I'm making the distinction right, is yeah, it sounds like good. Daniel's uh, explanation of what happens at their church is different people kind of take turns. I don't right. know if the set rotation or somebody feels like, hey, I really have something I've been studying and I want to share, or maybe it's a combination. Right. If nobody's good at the default, is me. Gotcha. But yeah. so yeah. It, so it's, I, it's quite like, a bit more. I like to set things up to where their uh, autopilot sounds bad. Uh, to where a little bit more structured and right organized. To, to to where there's um, there's a there's a an ongoing pattern um, that uh, that we can follow, um, and so so then after after a time of prayer, uh, then we will. Um, uh, there will be some some sort of pattern of moving through scripture that we'll be following. So when we first started, uh, we did uh, we just we worked our way through the Bible, and we um, it would be a, roughly a book a week. Sometimes it would be a grouping of books if it's a, a number of epistles from the New Testament. Or that's ambitious. Uh, well, the the idea there was that we wanted to we wanted to say okay, this is sort of be studying the same thing together during the week, and then people would, um, it, it would be open for people to bring uh, thoughts or, or questions on that portion of Scripture. Um, and so... And, and when you say people, is it anybody in the congregation? Sure, yeah. Okay. Yep. And it's more of a, okay. when you were doing going through that uh, phase of instruction, it was more of a survey... I mean, you're, you're spending a right, week yeah. talking about um, all of the epistles of John, because that might have been a cluster you did, for example. Right. You're doing first, second, and third John. You're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of all of them necessarily. It's just kind of an overview of these are what the themes of these letters are, and, and people are going to have particular questions about or things that struck them um, within those letters. And then your job is to... Job... But you take it upon yourself to have the responsibility, and everybody else maybe defaults to your 
leadership on corralling that and orchestrating the flow of the discussion and moderating things and offering correctives if they get off base from right. right? Is yeah. That, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think this this gets into you know what is um, on on what model are we are we basing our churches right because it you know getting off of house church and talking about sort of churches in general right you have churches modeled on uh, on Fortune 500 companies right you have churches modeled on um, you know whether it's whether it's business or government or any of you know 12 different types of government you know uh, there's uh, you know or whether it's uh, you know concerts or you know however maybe there's there's some sort of model that that uh, any given church is going to follow and um, and and I think that the that the model that is for the church is the family and so uh, so then you have so 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 yes so I as the as the the husband and as the father uh, of our family um, and as the initiator of this gathering of believers at my house I I take it upon myself to uh, to 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 lead to guide um, you know and, and to bear to bear the the responsibility for uh, to making sure that truth is being spoken and uh, you know anything that is um, it, you know and things are things are clarified and um, and all that so uh, so so yeah so then getting back to our our schedule um, if you will um, yeah you know now at this point we're we're going through uh, through a, a chapter at a time and uh, and so, so I, I, I generally have, uh, you know, in, in my own studying, I, I've prepared to, to teach, to explain, um, you know, to, to answer uh, questions. Um, but it is, you know, there, there's, there's an open... It, it's an open floor in the sense of that it's a uh, there, there's discussion. Okay. Um, but you don't make the distinction of only men contribute to that part of it, like we do in our. Yeah, because um, based on the model of the family, right? My my children can ask questions. Okay. Um, you know, and so so certainly, uh, you know, my you know children don't teach adults and so when we are together and having a discussion the children are not teaching they may ask questions or sure. and they can certainly have observations um, you know say I, I noticed I noticed this um, and uh, you know and so then we'll, we'll we'll talk through answers to questions or um, you know what? What is that that was observed? You know, and and explain it in context and all. Um, yeah. So it's okay. it's very it's very conversational. Sure. And and uh, then you, nature. as you draw to a close, you end up having the uh, the Lord's Supper is done every week, I believe. It right? is, and 
and we sing, uh, we sing every week as well, that, um, that may fall in, in different places. Um, and I'll, I'll usually uh, have a few songs prepared that we'll sing together. Um, and maybe, maybe closer to the beginning, maybe closer to the end. Um, but then, yes, we, we close everything with, uh, with communion together every week. Uh, and then after that, um, we, uh, we share a meal together and then it, yeah. And then it's a, it's a time of, 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 uh, loose fellowship, if you will, after right. that. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and I've been to your, uh, church as well. Um, actually a little more often than I've been to what the Razvies do. And the end, the start times are about the same every time, give or take a little bit of minutes, but the end time, uh, it kind of just depends on what people sort of filter out. But I would say on uh, the shorter ones, everybody's together for at least three or four hours. It seems like those have been the shorter ones. Yeah, including the meal time yeah. and everything all together. Yeah. yeah, and then the longer ones might be eight, ten hours maybe if somebody really hangs out all day. Kind of, that could it has right. happened. Yeah, so. <laughs> right. We've got uh, literally like 60 seconds. Can you uh, give me a 60-second uh, presentation of what we need to know from the Bible for the lost souls out there hearing your voice? Sure. Uh, God is perfect. He is the ultimate perfection. He is in heaven. And in order for perfection to be maintained in heaven, nothing imperfect can be in heaven with him. You are not perfect. I am not perfect. Therefore, we cannot be in heaven. So we're destined for hell. Um, But we have the choice to have Jesus cover us with his blood and his perfection because he did not sin. And he died for our sins, and he can cover those uh, with his with his blood and, and righteousness, and we can trust him, and that is the only way that we can be in heaven with the perfect God, the Creator. So the uh, voice you just heard is that of uh, Daniel Razvi, the voice before that, the dulcet tones of David Forsey. <laughs> uh, I'm Troy Skinner. This is The Faith Debate on 930 WFMD, online at WFMD.com. You can find the easiest way to connect with everything that's involved with those of us here is to go to householdoffaithinchrist.com, householdoffaithinchrist.com. There you'll find links to this show and everything related to this show, plus all the other social media and sermons and blog posts and what have you. It's all there. So one-stop shop for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from Set Your Watches. Right now, God bless. I think the um I, I think there's I think there's two discussions that that we'll we'll have at some point later on. One r- right, one being like the roles of men and women. Mistake. So I'm gonna see if this is gonna work or not. I'm gonna try. I made the mistake of not having my phone fully charged when we started, and so my battery's getting low, so I had to lose the is that charging now? Let's see if it'll let me. All right. I'm so we, got, we got two or three. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna see. If, I mean, I'm gonna keep going. The 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 sounds probably not gonna be anywhere near as good because you guys are so far from the phone. But I'm gonna try, and it'll be a good experiment because I can compare and contrast the sound quality. And you gotta talk about what structure of your service next because we didn't get time for you. Yeah, you guys boxed me out. Filibuster. Yep. <laughs>
Yeah, we do make a distinction. It's church service, and it's not because we have women that will cover their heads generally. Right. The church service. Right. And that's a whole other discussion too. Um, but they don't cover their heads just all day. So I'll I'll run through mine really quick and see if let's see. Um, yeah, and I think it'll actually go well because I did want to talk about at some point make sure we touched upon the importance of family integration. And so uh, I think it's a nice piggyback on the structure that we do because it sounds like all of us there's there's a family integrated model that's going on. I mean, it's, I think yes, it's natural. Good, good point. I'm very much against Sunday school use <laughs> <laughs> uh, What are we talking about next? Well, I'm, go I'm going to I'm going to run through really service. quick the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, what people could expect if they came to our church because my our structure is right, distinct a little bit from what you guys are doing as well so we've got three different ways of, of, of doing house church so that'll be good for people to hear they're not all the same and monolithic in that regard so that's that that would be interesting for people to hear maybe and then I think it'll blend nicely on the piggybacking on us talking about what happens it's a natural segue because there's you know the way we're all doing it the family is integrated into the worship yeah. You know, into the, the church practices. So, how long is your actual service? If it, I, mean, I know you don't want to call it a. How long? Yeah. You can call it a service. Right. So, I, for communication purposes, I don't, I don't care. It's the service part, like the official church part right. before the meals. How long is that generally? Um, <laughs> it's probably probably an hour to an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah, so kind of similar to. Yeah, probably. Probably about an hour and a half, usually. All right, I'm gonna. Uh, if we get a good discussion going, you guys. I hope I wasn't. Uh, a little longer. Yeah. Hope it wasn't rude for me to grab my protein bar in the middle of the show and eat for any of you guys. But because of my dental <laughs> work, I really funny. wasn't able to eat, and I was getting lightheaded. And so finally, I've got about ninety percent of my feeling back. I felt safe to eat the protein <laughs> bar. So good. <laughs> I'm glad that you did. No, no offense taken. You just gotta stay awake. <laughs> yeah. Where's the coffee? Yeah, yeah. Some radio stations they, they give you coffee energy. by IV. I think so. Oh man! Five-hour energy drink. Some of those morning guys they live on coffee, coffee and cigarettes. These guys, it's crazy. I, I'm not. I mean, I don't know. I never see them eat, but I do see them drink a lot of coffee and smoke cigarettes like they're going out oh of style. It's crazy. It's how something about the good, industry. How do you have a voice. Within, well, that's part of smoking? why a lot of them. It's not so that's much how you anymore. Get a nice raspy radio. But. Earlier, you know, years ago in radio, having the radio voice was a big deal. And so cigarettes actually would help to roughen and toughen and deepen your voice a little bit. So it actually was considered a, a good thing. Nowadays, it's less about that. Right. Uh, you've probably noticed just as a casual listener of radio, those big, deep-voiced radio guys, they're not the thing anymore. It's more about personality and how you use your voice as an instrument as opposed yeah. to having a tuba. Or how you speak three times faster than everybody else, like Ben Shapiro. Yeah, <laughs> and I will say, and to, that's going to be uh, become increasingly, I think, unfortunately, but increasingly important, because more and more people are consuming recorded content, whether it be podcasts or YouTube videos and that sort of thing, and people that are heavy consumers, they have a habit of increasing the speed. So they'll jump it to 1.25, 1.5. If it's a particularly slow talker, they'll double the speed. I do. I double speed on almost everything. And I so... You're, you get attenuated to a particular pace and then you listen to regular speaking come out of the speakers on your radio and it sounds like the 
but they're not. They're not talking like that, but you're you're so conditioned. Right. And so I think we're going to, again, I think it's unfortunate because it's a, a little less relational. Uh, but yeah. I think that there's going to be more of a drive towards faster speaking styles on radio, as long as there is a terrestrial radio industry, which is, <laughs> right. you know, I think has at least 10 years left in it. But after that, all bets are off. Yeah, the the pre-recorded the podcasts. Oh my the, God, it's it's uh, it's it's taking over. Yeah, it's taking over. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you can and and that you know that uh, that's nicer for the consumer because they can listen to it when they want to listen to it. Yeah, and no, there's a lot of there's of there's there's a there's a lot of upside. There is a lot of upside, but as a big radio consumer before I got into business and having my whole career on the radio side, it's. Uh, Oh, I, I think that, I think you're right that there's something certainly lost. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, I don't think it's great for the culture when radio goes away. Um, so we already are diminished by, in my opinion, by the loss of only having a handful of major network television I, channels. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I would say like I think it's, it's, it's closer to the ideal, right? Radio. But I think it's much further from what really is the ideal. Oh no, absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah, the, the shared experience. My, my joke about gone. the end was you know, people <laughs> a have, longing for a different know, time. People have favorite radio stations. You know, yeah. they consume radio differently than they consume um, TV, for example. Uh, people have favorite radio stations that they'll spend almost all of their time with, or they'll spend a majority of their time with, and so other people like them. They have a shared experience. They're listening to the same kind of music with the same personalities, the same persona, the stationality, as I call it. And then they can talk about those radio stations, and they have something in common, and they can connect. We have a shared experience. TV, even it's an even more dramatic experience. Uh, you're too young to experience this yourself, but you might have heard stories. I'm not even sure about you, because you're not you know, long in the tooth as I am either. But... Everybody my age watched the last episode of MASH. Everybody my age watched All in the Family, watched Cheers, watched Mork and Mindy, which right. is, you know, we all did. We all listened to Walter Cronkite. <laughs> we all did. That's not true anymore. And that's part of what helps to knit the fabric of a culture together is those shared experiences. We're all doing the same things at the same time, in the same way, going to work the next day, talking about, you know, back in the 90s, you guys, well, you not, but you are old enough to know about must-see TV on Thursday nights on NBC. Right. And it was must-see TV because on Friday, everybody at work was talking about um, Seinfeld and Friends and Frasier and Wings or whatever the other shows in their lineup were. But everybody was talking about it the next day. Or if you want to get away from that even, and I'm not sure how big it has been uh, in your context because of the, the, the cultural milieu in which your family has raised the family. Uh, and you, I don't know either because your dad was a pastor, so it might have been different. But for non-pastored, the kids who weren't pastor's kids, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, even into the 90s, I'm not so sure about today, Saturday Night Live, SNL. If you weren't watching SNL, you could not have a conversation with friends in school. Because they were referencing, they were using all these taglines and, 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 and punchlines and, 
and show bits from the recurring characters on SNL that if you didn't know what they were talking about, you were like out of it. You had to watch SNL to be culturally relevant. That's not true anymore. Yeah. Well, also now you can just go watch the highlights on YouTube the next day. That's true, but that's 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 <laughs> it's not the same thing, right? It's not the same thing. Um, when I was growing up, or through the tail end of my growing up years, if some guy went up to another guy and said, Schwing! Everybody knew what he meant. You probably don't know. You definitely don't know what I mean. Do you even know what I mean? Uh, I, I've heard the reference, and but I, I... But everybody my age knew what that meant. That was from the Wayne's World bit right. that got turned into the Wayne's World movies. And whenever Garth and Wayne would see uh, a beautiful female or somehow there was something sexual going on, they would say, Schwing! And it was as though they were instantly aroused. That was the... But, so you would just... You, some beautiful woman would walk by and one buddy would turn the other and go, Schwing! And you just knew. It was a shared... Now, I'm not saying it was a good thing, <laughs> but it was a shared thing. We don't have those things anymore. One guy's listening to Ben Shapiro all day. The other guy's listening to... Uh, Louder with Crowder every day. The other person's listening to, uh, oh, what's the, the uh, uh, oh my gosh, bald-headed guy. He's like the most popular podcaster in the country right now. Uh, Rogan? Rogan, yeah. Rogan. Somebody else is listening to Rogan every day. Somebody else is, everybody's so fractured that even if they have the same, and I used those on, on purpose, the, the, the first couple, because a lot of the Louder with Crowder and Ben Shapiro crowd would be a lot of overlap there. Yeah. But they're not, everybody who's in that crowd isn't consuming both of those. Continue that. Are they also watching the Steve Day show on the Blaze Network? Are they also watching uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox at night? Are they also listening before he died to Rush Limbaugh every day? Maybe, maybe not. Rush was the closest thing. His passing yeah. was. Um, yeah, that was. His show was probably the worst. I don't know that it is leading to the more of the problem, I think it becomes an emblem. I think it's a symbolic end point. I think there's cultural media consumption during Rush and after Rush. And we'll be able to look back and say, yeah, ever since Rush died, I think it was already beginning to fracture big time before, but I think that's going to be the marker before and after Rush. And I'll say this, uh, just from a broadcaster standpoint, the industry is diminished. Forget the politics uh. part for a minute. He is, in my opinion, the second best radio broadcaster in history. The first best, in my opinion, being Paul Harvey. Rush, and, and that's even debatable. Some people could argue uh, the merits of that. I, I, I have my reasons for saying what I say, but just Paul Harvey is one, Rush Limbaugh is one A, and then there's this gigantic drop before you get to number two or number three or whatever. There's a huge gap. So the industry is diminished because the talent level, what he brought to the table is so rare. A truly talent on load from God. <laughs> but I think what we're, we're fast approaching, if we haven't already crossed that line, the Orwellian newspeak, that that's just what it is. There's only going to be one thing. And uh, there is still now an opposing view, which isn't really much of an opposing view anymore. Uh, and you have outliers, but he, he, you know... Yeah, it's not control. It's not opposing view because it's controlled opposition. Right, and so... <laughs> that's the that's the and, I, and so I, I don't think we're very far from those being the only 
available things to consume because all you need is a couple media companies to say, oh, we don't want people to hear you, and then nobody does And I'm not even talking about the content per se, as far as the political content, the cultural content, that sort of stuff. I'm just talking about broadcaster chops. Talent as a broadcaster. Uh, actually, I'm, to give you an example to show you that it's not merely about politics, I'm not sure exactly where I haven't thought this all the way through. Somewhere in my top ten list of all-time most talented radio broadcasters I've ever heard happens to also be a, uh, a talk show host. But it's Alan Combs, now deceased Alan Combs. Alan Combs is a liberal, like big-time leftist liberal. But as a broadcaster, his talent was amazing. Um... But there's some DJs, so it's not just about the talk. There's some amazingly talented DJs that are just... Rush, his, his pace, his persona, his ability to shift and change with the times, this is one of the big... This is why I would put him uh, in that rarefied air, because there's some people that for a season, they're the best in the world at what they do for a season. But then they never adapt and change and, and shift with more contemporary tastes. And so you listen to somebody, like there's somebody locally in the market, and we're on Facebook Live still, so I, I don't know if I should mention, but there's somebody locally in the market who's a big name, been around forever, been around for 30, 40 years as a broadcaster probably, very successful in other markets. Uh, you listen to the show now, and it's, it's fine. He's really good at what he does. So at what he does, there's nobody better. But what he does sounds like 1995. He hasn't adjusted to... And his show sounds old. Now, if you like that old sound, that's good, but he hasn't kept... Rush didn't ever sound disconnected from the moment. <coughs> his show evolved subtly, but it evolved over time. You listen to his show in the early 90s and compared it with his show from the last couple of years on the air. It was a very different show. And it's so hard to do. I, I mean, maybe I'm too much of a radio geek. I'm telling you, it is so hard to do he's so good and the biggest thing to do in a long-form show like that the big you know the best uh, for writers uh, maybe you've heard this you know the best write is a rewrite you know the, the magic of being a great writer is is it comes down to the editing you know, making those refinement choices later on is really what takes something from good to great and from great to exceptional uh but when you're doing a live call-in show or a live spontaneous stream of consciousness kind of a show the editing happens in the moment. You're making editing choices as you're talking. And nobody that I ever heard did that anywhere close to as well as Rush Limbaugh. I could actually, I felt like I could hear him making editing choices as he'd go. And it, it was it was a work of art to listen to him do a show. So anyway, enough of my Rush Limbaugh. So we're diminished. We're diminished because we don't have this master doing it anymore. We're diminished because we don't have people who culturally would agree with his general worldview, having that shared experience because it was appointment listening for so many people. That's not the case anymore. It's, it's not healthy for us. So the, the, the multitude of choices is good, but it comes at a huge cost. And I, I feel like we've, we've overshot the, the benefits of the multitude of choices. I feel like we've overshot. I mean, we've lost more than we've gained, it feels like to me. But anyway, enough of my soliloquy. <laughs> um, okay, talking about my church and then getting into family integration stuff. This one's the week before Halloween. Okay. It's going to be very exciting. 
wait for that special. <clears throat> I'm confused. Why did it do that? I have some very strong opinions about Halloween. <laughs> but then I have strong opinions about everything. That's okay. and sensitivity of some of those people putting on those costumes for Halloween, it just... Yeah. <laughs> Not where you thought I was going to go with that, right? Dressing up like a mummy, that's Egyptian appropriation. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Walsh had a really funny video about that I watched recently, about the nine types of costumes you should not wear for Halloween. <laughs> okay. I want to make sure so don't, I didn't screw yeah, Avoid dressing up as some other culture. And avoid not dressing up with some other culture because you don't care enough about that culture to, to, to show pride in them. And then, uh, you know, avoid wearing costumes at all. And then also avoid not wearing costumes at all because that would be wrong to the people that... It, 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 you're just going overwhelmed with it. It's really funny. Okay. Whew. I almost made a horrible error, but I caught it at the, like the last second. I almost erased the last show we did. Ooh. It would still be in the deleted folder, wouldn't it? No, not if I didn't catch it, because I was about to like move forward, and it was gonna what we were about to record would have overwritten. Uh, but I caught it just before. I was like, "This doesn't feel right. Something doesn't look right." Like, wait a minute, what's going on? And I pause. Thank goodness for that. So what's uh, so this next one's gonna be ten twenty four, week before Thanksgiving, uh, Halloween rather. Thanksgiving. See, this is why we can't do eight shows. Well, then we'll get to Thanksgiving. What's that? Then we'll get to Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know, but I'll be so punch drunk. <laughs> and another thing. We'll just call it eggnog <laughs> and we'll go on to the Christmas show. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do in their house church. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's why we do house church. They kicked me out of all the other churches. <laughs> this is the faith debate on 930 WFMD. Thanks so much for tuning in every Sunday at 9 o'clock from 9 to 930. I'm Troy Skinner, pastor of Household of Faith in Christ. We're online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. I'm joined this week, as uh, every week now, uh, with by Daniel Razvi and David Forsey. And uh, absent, AWOL this time, is uh, Imran Razvi, but he'll be around maybe in a couple of weeks, and we'll give him a hard time. Actually, I, I joked, but if you guys really wanted to sneak in some conversation about Imran <laughs> when he's not here, this is our chance to talk about him. Just letting you know. Huh? Not here to defend himself. That's right. Yeah. He'll never know. <laughs> we'll just make sure he doesn't listen to this episode. Look, it's your job, Daniel, to distract him when this show airs. Yeah, anyway. So, um, I'm going to start with this, I guess. Um, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, joyous Sunday to you. I think it's important for you to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, you are of incredible value. And your maker um, really has a special place for you. However, 
we have a problem. We have uh, damaged the relationship through our failure to do right things, righteous things. We have sinned against God's law. Even if you don't consider yourself a Christian or a Bible believer, you have to admit, even by your own standard of what's good and bad, you've done some bad things. So you've got a guilt problem. What are you going to do with your guilt? How are you going to be redeemed, to put a uh, you know, Christian theological label on it? There is a great Redeemer who has uh, provided the solution for your guilt. So you know where to put your guilt. You put it at the foot of the cross, and Christ takes it upon himself. And through that redemption, you begin the process of restoration, where that broken relationship that you're meant to have with your, your creator who, who made you in his image, who has made you fearfully and wonderfully, uh, you restore that relationship ultimately to, at the end of all things, being glorified. So you were made with the ability to sin, and sadly you did. But there's a coming a day when you will be remade forever and all time and eternity where you will no longer even be able to sin. And that is only possible in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I would invite you, if you want to know more about that, to reach out to me. The easiest way to do that is go to householdoffaithinchrist.com. You can find my email and phone there. I'd love to talk with you about it. So, last week we had Daniel talk about the church that meets at uh, the Razvi's house. And then we also heard from David talk about what goes on at the church that meets at the Four Seas house. And they filibustered me, so I didn't have a chance to talk about what happens at the Skinner house. So I'll, I'll, just real quickly, I'll run through what you could expect. If you were to show up uh, at Archer, and, you know, you guys didn't talk about this. And I'll be curious to see if you, uh, how you handle this. Maybe you haven't had the issue because of not being so public, like on the Internet and those sorts of things that I have with, with what I'm doing being more public uh, on the internet and all, all of that. But the, uh, the climate of the times is negative. <laughs> and there's a lot of negative energy, a lot of potential risk uh, inherent. You're inviting people into your home. Mm-hmm. You know, not just your home, but it's your wife's home. It's your children's home. It's, the, it's their safe place kind of thing. And so I vet people before they come. I, nobody... Uh, so I'm very public with what we do, but our address is not. So we, we're not going to be surprised if somebody just, surprise, we're here to check out your church this week. They somehow have to reach out to me, and I have an opportunity then to either meet with them beforehand or at the very least talk with them over the phone or, or you know whatever. Um, so during that process, they might hear me say, so what you might expect when you show up is, so this is something that they, that they would be hearing, so we generally start, everybody shows up at our house on a Saturday around 5.30, in, uh, not in the morning, in the evening. And uh, there are occasions when it's earlier. So on a week-by-week basis, it starts around 5.30. But uh, there are occasions when we'll say, hey, we want to do something extra long. We're going to do a barbecue or, uh, you know, play games in the afternoon or watch a movie together or, you know, what ha- whatever. Uh, people might come earlier, like 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and then around 5.30 we would transition into what we typically would begin doing at 5.30, which is a little bit of time for some you know, socialization and catching up on the week and that sort of thing. And then uh, we, depending on how much of that there is, depends on how many songs we'll sing. So if we get very chatty and there's a lot of catching up to do, lots of sharing happening, lots of fellowshipping that's taking place, then we might only sing a song before we get into the more formal part of what we do. 
But if there's not as much chit chat and stuff going on, we'll transition into singing sooner. And sometimes, and uh, we'll. I think only one time I can remember we sang one song uh, before we got into the formal part of things. But uh, it's at least two, sometimes a third song before we get into the formal thing. The formal thing starts, you know, pretty close to six o'clock, and uh, opens with. Um, some introductory remarks for those who are joining us because we put this part of what we do online through Facebook Live. And I can explain why we ended up, how we came about to do that. Um, but anyway, during that, so after a few, couple of minutes of, of that, then we have a, a time for some opening prayer. Uh, sometimes we'll read um, an extended passage from scripture that's connected with what the message is going to be about. Sometimes not, it depends. Uh, on, on that week's message, usually by 6:05 or 6:10, at the you know if there's an extended reading of the scripture, by 6:10 the sermon uh, begins. The sermons are generally about 30 minutes long. Short sermon might be 25 minutes long. A, a long sermon might be 35. Once I did a 40-minute message, and uh, for our context, that was probably felt long in the room kind of thing. So I think 30 minutes is a kind of a sweet spot for us. At the conclusion of the message, there's there's a, a group discussion about the message and the passage that was preached on and the themes that were touched upon. And people have a chance to ask clarifying uh, questions, um, uh, you know, bounce off of an illustration that was, was used or, you know, clarify something that they thought they heard somebody else teach and preach once upon a time that you know, wasn't brought up in the message or was brought up differently, that sort of thing. Uh, that portion, and, and then when the discussion is over, uh, you know, we have uh, closing prayer and uh, some closing remark announcement things. And we wrap up the Facebook Live part, and then we continue to exist together as a local church, if you will. And uh, we sing songs there. If we we generally sing four to five songs a week, and so if we only sang one or two, you know, earlier, whatever songs we didn't get to that we would have gotten to earlier, we sing on the back end. So, and you pick those songs ahead of time. Yeah, and I don't. Uh, somebody, uh, and I'll, I'll get into some of that, I guess, too. So, and then um, we do. We don't do the Lord's Supper every week. Uh, at some point, I might uh, begin to get into that habit for, but for now we're, we're doing it uh, every fourth or fifth week um, and we don't have a meal together all the time but we always have a meal uh, and big social function gathering at least once a quarter so far our habit ends up being a little more frequent than that it's more like it seems like it's on average been more like every eight-ish weeks um, uh, it's more just a spontaneous, hey, I feel like maybe we should just hang out. And and so those that's the structure. So I'll give you some of the reasons, I guess. Um, the songs aren't chosen by me. Part of that is I want to have as much participation from people as possible. And so I'm trying to figure out what are ways to get different people involved. And we have, you know, somebody might be really comfortable uh uh, praying and somebody else isn't so comfortable praying so the person who's really comfortable praying I might kind of lean on them more often than the others and say hey could you open us in prayer today or would you be the one to close us in prayer today and those who are not as comfortable uh, we work towards that 
Uh, and so, so far, working towards that has gone well. Uh, everybody who's been uncomfortable praying inside of two months uh, has gotten to a place where they are willing to put themselves out there and pray in front of people for the first time. So that's gone well. Uh, so we've got kind of a music coordinator, if you will, <laughs> who shows up with okay. that week's song selections. And to be honest, they're not always the songs I would choose, but uh, that's less important to me than than everybody feeling they have a role. And then other people aren't comfortable reading aloud. You know, I have one person who's, uh, uh, you know, who told me they were dyslexic and uh, didn't know that, and they were really nervous about praying. I said, yeah, and I encouraged them, and over time they finally got comfortable and decided to pray. And afterwards, I, you know, said, hey, I really, I know that was hard for you. You were nervous, and, you know, how to feel. You know, I'm really proud of you for putting yourself out there. And that's when I found out they were dyslexic. And I was like, I don't know if I would have put as much gentle pressure on you, but I'm glad I did because you know, uh, uh, you know, it was God's providence that I didn't know that until after the fact. So I'm trying to get everybody involved, and then after the message, and I so far I've been the one to uh, preach the sermon every week. Um, not that I'd be opposed to somebody else in our church preaching, but nobody else right now is equipped to handle that. Um, so that would be a difference. Like the Rasby Church, you guys have, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 people maybe that come with yeah, some... It really depends on the week. Some reg yeah, but in and out, you probably have, you know, several dozen people that are kind of coming in and out of your church over the course of a year. And a number of those probably uh, have some experience and some ability and some gifting and the mat spiritual maturity to handle those responsibilities, perhaps. I don't know that our thing is there just yet so at the at the moment when that comes I'm gonna be because that's part of my model is I want to have I want to be I want to launch a, another house church out of our house church but it's only gonna happen if somebody in my house church becomes equipped to lead a house church and right now there's nobody in my church that's equipped to lead a house church and one of the steps in that development of leadership will be taking on the responsibility of leading a teaching uh, with, some, you know, at least once, see how it goes, and with some increasing regularity, that sort of a thing. So, one of the things I noticed, you know, both last week when we were talking about our um, gatherings, uh, David and, and, and my own, and then Troy, you're, you mentioned one thing that's, that's kind of been this the same or not the same but a similar theme in all three of our stories which is very different from most churches is that discussion aspect that discussion about the sermon or bible study or whatever you want to call it the preaching session or the teaching discussion by the congregation whether it's just the men whether it's men and women however um, it's very highly encouraged whereas in most churches if you go visit 10 churches you're probably not going to hear anybody speak up other than amen. If you're in the South, you might hear that a lot. <laughs> right? But that's about it. You, it, it, it. Not only doesn't anybody do it, it's kind of discouraged. If somebody does make a comment, that's kind of rare, a rare thing. Yeah. So, but I see this theme a lot with house churches. It's very common to, to have those conversations. Yeah, so I'm trying to think, what were some of the other things I said that were a little bit different than you guys? And I want well, we don't have a meal every week. We don't, yeah, we don't have a meal. Oh, yeah, and so one of the reasons for that is um, those that are members of what we're doing, we're, we're, we're small. If everybody shows up, 
uh, on the same Saturday evening, which happens most of the time. Uh, you know, praise God for that. But if everybody shows up, it's nine people. You know, so we're not huge. And those nine people, uh, you know, one of those is a teenager. Uh, the, the reason I'm going to mention these other things is doing like a potluck style thing doesn't lend itself to easily coming together. One of them is a teenager. One of them is a, a young 20-something couple that, um, I, I, given their family dynamic and their, their, little, their two little ones and stuff, uh, I'm not so sure having them bring... Uh, uh, food for a meal and stuff with, with consistency would uh, at least at, at this stage in, of things would make the most sense and somebody else is you know a, a, a single woman who normally is cooking for one and to ask her to suddenly figure out how to cook for nine times as many um, so the point in me mentioning all that is when we've had a meal it's fallen to my wife mm -hmm. and I'm just not comfortable uh, putting that level of responsibility and pressure on my wife to prepare a large meal for a bunch of people with different tastes and different food, uh, maybe allergies or, it, you know, it, it's work. And for her to do it on occasion is fine. She and she likes doing it, but I'm not going to prey upon her liking to do that and burn her out. And it's just it doesn't. It seems like a burdensome request. I'd like to do it more often as we get bigger and we get more people. And maybe somebody's like, oh. I could bring the meal, you know, we'll, we'll make it and bring it. Or how about the two or three of us all together? We bring a little something and we can and take the pressure off, but I'm not going to throw all that pressure on my wife. Um, right. So, so th that's one of the reasons we do that. And yeah. the Facebook Live thing, that's different than what you guys do. And one of the reasons we do that is the way we came to be a house church is different. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I've had this idea about doing a house church for years and years and never actually pulled the trigger on it, and then finally last year did. And part of the circumstances that led to us pulling that trigger was that I was pastoring another church, and that church, uh, the board-led, not elder board, but uh, board of trustee type of uh, board-led church, made a decision to, uh, to stop meeting when COVID hit, and they made that decision without even having me part of the conversation which was interesting. Uh, hadn't, yeah. hadn't been, uh, I, part of it is I hadn't been their pastor that long, um, so they maybe weren't feeling like it was that important to involve me. I don't know. Uh, the other thing is I'm suspicious that they might have known that I was going to push back on, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Because uh, we would have we made a different decision uh, if it were my call exclusively, that's for sure. Anyway, closing the church uh, down temporarily turned into the church closing its doors down permanently. Now, I've heard s some buzz that maybe they're beginning to try to put something together again in, in a different form and fashion. After, you know, like a year later, they decided to try to pick up the pieces and put Humpty Dumpty back together again and, and whatever that's, you know, I'm not involved with that anymore. But the context was we got shut down and it was, it was, a couple of months later before the church was closed. So we stopped meeting, we were shut down, meaning we, we shut ourselves down, stopped meeting, and then closed the doors semi-permanently a couple of months later. Well, during those couple of months, we were still doing church. And so I was by default forced to do what so many of the churches had to do. They did virtual church. Everything was streaming. 
And so I was like, okay, well, I'll do well. In the process of me doing that, a number of friends and family and you know people that are close to me and close to my wife and stuff started following along online. And we started getting a Facebook Live following, actually, that was larger than the church. <laughs> and so when the church completely shut things down, I was like, well, I've got... Well, that, I, I think it's diminished, to be honest. I'll, I'll, if you care, I'll explain later why I think that happened. But we had about 100, 100 to 150 people that were faithful every week paying attention to what we were doing online. Mm. And I was like, I'm just going to pull the plug on that? Like, there's something there that these people are wanting or needing or feeling like they need from us. I'm going to continue it. So then I decided that, oh, well, if we're going to continue it, maybe this is something we could transition into doing a house church like I've been thinking about for so long and it took me a couple of weeks to persuade myself and a few more weeks to persuade my wife and uh, and then we decided yeah we're gonna do this and so we were already doing the Facebook live and so once we became a church the household of faith in Christ was born um, it didn't feel wise to just pull the plug on the Facebook live at at that time, so it's just become a part of what we do. I can foresee a time when that would go away, um, but right now I'm not feeling like we need, and we're not catering what we're doing to Facebook Live. Maybe I will allude to it on occasion. Oh, at the beginning I do. Whenever we turn it on, it's always, hello Facebook, hello YouTube, because we put it on YouTube later, so I'll say, hello YouTube if you're watching this later. So I acknowledge that they're joining Facebook Live, that's something different. And in the sermon on occasion, I might make mention something to uh, a, a situation they might be facing in their life that's not in the room. Right. So it's got a broad, but generally speaking, you know, 95, 98% of my focus and what we're talking about is what's going on in the room. So if we were to lose Facebook Live, it really wouldn't change anything. But some of the people that, without getting all in the personal weeds on this, some people that are faithful every week watching and apparently hanging on the words I say because I then get comments and phone calls and questions so I was like oh they're actually listening uh, it's f filling a need right. and I think the only reason it's filling a need is because pardon the you know common vernacular on this but you know I'll frame it this way I was listening to a podcaster uh, actually it was just earlier today and he was being critical of one of these mega church pastors who's gone full woke and is teaching a bunch of garbage and stuff. And and he kind of closes out his podcast with the words to this this effect, saying, "Look, if you're going to one of these you know big mega church woke pastor kind of things, you know what you need to do? You need to leave and find a church where your pastor doesn't suck." <laughs> and I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of pastors out there that they totally suck. They're not teaching the gospel. In fact, in, in some cases, I think they're preaching and teaching an anti-gospel. And uh, and I think that they hear something that's as unpolished as, as what I do. Because you know, I'm not, you know, you, you watch these guys that, uh, you know, around the country, these big you know, pers high personality, high woo kind of pastors, they're very gifted communicators. And I mean, I'm not competing with them on that level. And yet... In more cases than not, I'm providing people that are consuming what I have to say. I'm providing something to those other guys as gifted and smooth as they are that they're not giving. And that is the truth. You know, if, if nothing else, they're getting the truth on Saturday nights watching, you know, me on Facebook. So it's all kind of evolved. Uh, it's interesting that, David, you have a, uh, like, 
the family's kind of your structure model in your head for how things should go. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, family is your thing. Uh, it's more of just a an, no, an, an anti-institutionalized, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I read in the Bible, in the New Testament, I read examples of how the church is, and we try to copy that. And I don't see building in there, so we don't have a building. Um, I don't see just one guy speaking all the time. Paul talks about, in uh, Corinthians, he talks about, don't all speak at once, as in there are lots of men trying to say stuff. So his whole point in that passage is don't all speak at once, Well, the implication being there are several men who will be speaking and sharing something of value, not just a comment, but something substantive. So uh, we try to encourage that. Uh, and I think singing is very important. If it's done properly, music is very important. And I have some strong opinions on healthy music and unhealthy music, especially in the church, and how that is directly related to backsliding and doctrine in churches. We can talk about that someday, maybe. Uh, and one of the things we all have in common, or maybe all, well, I'm sure there are exceptions, but generally speaking, almost all house churches are going to have this in common. They're going to be family integrated in their model. Yes. Right? It's going to be the kids are going to be a part of it too. You're not going to shuttle the kids off into a completely different part of the house for children's church or youth group meetings or things Most like that. School, children's church, youth, youth group, nurseries. I mean, if, if, you're, if your baby is screaming to the point where it's disruptive to the service and you want to take the baby into another room and, and nurse or something, that's fine, but that's not even a requirement. That's, a, that's, that's your personal preference. But generally, yeah. kids are very much expected to be in the service. And I think a lot of parents don't realize your children, even your toddlers, can sit still for three hours and not say anything. It is possible. We actually wrote a book on it. My parents wrote a book on it. Children can sit in church. You can sit for three hours. Not that we'd spend three hours necessarily, but you can sit for three hours in church service and not say anything, not be distraction, um, and so on. But, uh, you know, that's not how it always happens. There's certainly kids will make noises and they'll move around and stuff. But I, I think it's important for them to get the same message. Yeah, and, and to, uh, to observe their parents right. worshiping. Right. Right. Whether it's worshiping through, through, through teaching or, yeah, or singing or praying. Um, yeah, yeah, they're I mean, picking up things through osmosis, whether you realize it or not. And our kids usually are way more attentive to what's going on around them long before you realize they're attentive to what's going on around yes. them. Yeah. By the time you realize they're noticing something, they had been noticing it for months before that. Right. And, <laughs> and they're going to learn a lot more sitting in a church service than they are in a Sunday school or a children's church or something like that, which is usually I, the material is dumbed down so much that they don't... The only clarification I would make is I don't, I don't know that they're going to learn more. They're going to learn something different. Something correct. correct. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Well, more deep things, I guess. We're, we're going to uh, uh, put a wrap on this one because this one, I, I, again, I think I talked too much at the beginning. I apologize. Next week, I'm just going to introduce you guys and say go, and then you guys talk for the rest of the show. Uh, I'm Troy Skinner, uh, David Forsey, uh, of, I think was the, well, I don't, no, you spoke. I was going to say the last voice you heard was David Forsey's, but the second to the last voice you heard was David Forsey. <laughs> Before that was Daniel Rasby. Uh, this is the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD. You can connect us with us most easily by going to householdoffaithinchrist.com. You can connect with the show and everything else that we're involved with there, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now, God bless.
comment about meals, because that I think speaks to difference between American culture and uh, uh, Western culture and Eastern culture, where a meal and hospitality is. Yeah, a huge and the other, mistake. and I didn't want to get bogged down in all the hyper specific things to us, but one of the everything that I've been doing so far has been I'm trying to stay true to what I think. Uh, fellowship and the gathering of believers in church should be and accommodating our particular situation with the people we have now so uh, one of the people in our church is in law school and you know she's studying like crazy and doing all this sort of stuff and she's faithful she has not missed a gathering yet but it's a time pressure on her to make sure she makes the time to come to church and so her coming and being a part of what we do for two hours on Saturday um, is good. She's not begrudging it. But if we turned it into an eight or ten hour thing like you, she would probably only join us for a couple of those hours anyway. Because right. she's and, feeling and that's all actually pressure. Right. Yeah. A lot of the people that come to our gathering are just like that. But the point I'm making, uh, and, and again, not to put you know, pressure on to make a huge meal, to, see, to somebody in a different culture, that's not a big deal like cooking for a hundred people is something I could do by myself in a couple hours like it's, it's not a, a big deal it's, it doesn't feel like a, a a burden just because that's what we do whenever you come to a house in a Pakistani household or any any Jewish household anybody from the Middle East it's the expectation that there is food and there's a bed for you and it's, it's, it's just what is provided um, and so it doesn't matter how many people are coming, and it's not going to be 100, but cooking for 40 or 50 people is not a big deal, particularly because I'm the oldest of 13 kids, and cooking for my family <laughs> is 15. Right. So it's not a whole lot more uh, to just get a slightly bigger pot. Uh, but I, I think that's so... so yeah, and I'm so not we saying that my wife pushed food. back and said she didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it to her. Like, right. I didn't want to presume. Because right. actually she's Italian, and you know the American... Uh, Italian culture is probably a little bit closer to what you're talking about where they were getting together as families every weekend and grandma was cooking doing all the cooking all day for everybody who showed up and everybody showing up would include not just immediate family but close friends coming in and out of the house and grandma was cooking for 30 people every weekend and it was no big deal and she loved doing it my wife is like that too she likes to cook and she's a great uh, uh, homemaker and or you know a great um, the word I'm looking for. She has a great, a great gift of hospitality. She loves doing it. However, you know, we have a special needs son, and we've got a big house, and she's got a lot of, you know, pressures sure, on sure. her. And I'm like, I'm. She would do it, but I'm not gonna ask her to do it. Maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe there'd be so many great benefits. I, I don't think I am, but you know, over time, maybe I'll think differently. Well, I, I, like, hey, I honey, would you mind? I, I think it would only be wrong if she really wanted to do it, and you said. Don't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. She's not saying, there's, oh, there's can we no have verse. them come over so I can cook every weekend? She's not doing that. Yeah, there's no so. scripture that says you must have a dinner together so, as believers. In fact, but over time, I could see, like, right now, we, like I say, we only have nine if everybody shows up. Well, hopefully, I'm, at some point, we're going to have 18 or 20. And out of that new group of people, we might get two or three families with some other women who like to cook or even men who like to cook. And, and they can kind of take on some of that uh, joy filled burden. Of, of helping out. Um, anyway, so I think this time maybe we'll talk about uh, 
any sort of ideas that you guys might have on how somebody could find a house church, uh, what to look for in a house church, that sort of thing, maybe what it would take for them to start their own house church, those sorts of ideas. And then if we have some time, uh, we can talk about how perhaps house church and uh, homeschooling uh, begin to maybe overlap or, or, or if not overlap, at least uh, complement each other nicely, right. something like that. And then that, I think this will be our last one, this is our Halloween episode. Oh, yeah. Um, also known as Reformation Day. That's what we should really be talking about. <laughs> yes. That's All what right. we should really, really be talking about. Happy Reformation Day. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. I mean, I mean rather than Halloween. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not going to say Happy Halloween. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Happy culture Unless I were to do it sarcastically, tongue-in-cheek, or trying to play, have fun oh, with it. we can make some jokes. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna genuinely, with heartfelt, <laughs> happy Halloween kind of thing. No, I'm not gonna do that. All right, let me uh, get this ready. Uh, okay. Okay, I gotta get past this ad for some reason. There we go. Welcome to the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD. I'm Troy Skinner. You're a long time. I know. Long time. I'm old. I get it. I'm old. Don't remind me. Host of the Faith Debate show. Uh, joined by the, you know, you were 10 when I started doing this show. <laughs> Daniel Rasby. And uh, David was, I don't know, well, you were probably only 11. No, he's, <laughs> you were probably like 20 or so when I started this show. 19, something like that. Huh? 19. Sure. Yeah? How old are you? 17 years ago? Yeah. 36. Okay, yeah, 19. Math skills. <laughs> very, very impressive. Yeah, it's not the only thing you're going to hear today, theology and things like that. You're going to hear math. Uh, anyway, um, all three of us, uh, David Forsey, uh, Daniel Rasby, me, Troy Skinner, we uh, lead or are involved in leading uh, house churches. Uh, in the area, and we are, along with Imran Rasby, who couldn't be here for um, this show and the last couple of shows, uh, he's normally be part of this panel, he's also involved uh, with leading a house church, and the Rasbys have a ministry that has a website, it's um, conqueredbylove.org, Conquered by Love Ministries is the name of the entity, but conqueredbylove.org is their uh, website. And I think it's going to connect with some of the things that we're going to be talking about today, actually. So we've been spending the last few weeks talking about house church, meeting in a home for church, that sort of thing. And we've talked about the advantages, the disadvantages. We've talked about, uh, you know, what things look and feel like inside of a, a house church. And we all have various ways of doing it. So not all exactly the same, but there are some interesting commonalities. And I don't think that's necessarily by accident. Uh, we talked about you know one of the benefits being integrating the family, meaning from the youngest to the oldest are all kind of doing church together, fellowshipping together, learning and growing together, uh, and uh, so therefore you're avoiding the dangers of of youth groups and 
right. kiddie Sunday schools where you have no idea what they're telling and teaching your kids and right you have more direct control and say over those sorts of things so all of that uh, is good and we kind of alluded to this when I was talking about the reason why my particular house church is one of the few I know that has a website um, the overwhelming majority of house churches do not have a website but we did and that website is householdoffaithinchrist.com uh, so if you want to, somebody's listening and they've been, they've been persuaded over the last few weeks, like, huh, this house church thing is kind of interesting. Maybe I should start one. Or maybe I should find one. What advice might you guys have for somebody finding one? The best way to go about trying to find one? And uh, things they need to think about if they are seriously considering starting one. Call Troy. That's a good answer, right? <laughs> I can tell you this, um, I have, because I, I, I have the website, some people have found me. And they've reached out to me and said, hey, uh, I was looking for a house church and I found you, can you help me? And unfortunately, two people so far have found me, which is, I think, pretty impressive. The website's less than six months old. Well, as you're hearing this on the radio, it's now a little over six months old. But still, it's... Uh, I think it's rather impressive that a couple of people actually found our website with that particular question. Unfortunately, they weren't local. That just speaks uh, to the difficulty in finding a house church. Yeah. They found me, and they're like, uh, you don't have a location, but from the stuff I'm seeing in your social media, it seems like you're probably somewhere in Maryland, and I'm not in Maryland, but do you know any house churches near where we are? And in both cases, I was able to help them get shoved off in the right direction to find what I would have reason to believe and trust and hope is an actual Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, but not a house church. So how does somebody find a house church? I mean, if, they, if they're local, they're hearing my voice on the radio right now, they're local, and they could call me, and I could say, well... Here's what my church is about. And they're like, oh, I don't think that would work for us. Oh, well, I know something about the Rasby's church and something about the 4C's church. I can describe those. They'd be a fit. And I know that, uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, David, but there's somebody you know that either was or mm -hmm. is thinking about doing a house church. So there's a fourth house church potentially that we know about. There's several in this area that I, I know about or have connections to. Okay, so. But I, I don't know in Wyoming who's in the house churches there. Yeah, so. but it's, no, I'm talking about locally. Somebody who's hearing us on the radio right now, they want to go to... So if they didn't like us, yeah, I want to go to a house church, but not you three knuckleheads. You guys don't know what's going on. But I like the house church idea. We could point them to somebody outside of us three. So, that, so that'd be one way. True. What, one of the things you could do is you could go to the NCFIC website, National Center for Family Integrated Churches. And that website has a listing of... Um, family integrated churches across the country and those aren't all necessarily house they churches not, though they're not but you can also sort by house church I believe um, and there's there's types of churches there uh, and, and it'll, it'll say whether it's a house church but what you'll find with that website is it'll all be churches where the children are expected to be in the in the service mm. so they're generally in that vein already with a lot of the similar principles to what we have and the reasons we have for meeting in houses and there are a bunch of house churches on that website. You could also check the, your homeschool umbrella groups and homeschool movements, uh, any, any connections you have to homeschoolers. A lot of them will have some knowledge of people that uh, are, are in the house churches. 
Now, one of the challenges, like if somebody were to contact me, obviously I'd have no problem talking to them about and encourage them to consider coming to Household of Faith in Christ because, I mean, I believe in what we're doing. Yeah. And I know you guys. And so I could say, where do you live? And they live on the south end of the county. I say, you know what? You're actually closer to the Four Seas than me. How about if I get your number? Maybe I'll ask David to give you a call and you can kind of see. And they'll feed you every week. And they'll feed you every week. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and I would have no problem doing that. But just because it's a house church doesn't mean I'm going to recommend somebody go there. Yeah. So finding a house church is one thing, but finding a faithful biblical church is another. And that's one of the main reasons yeah, somebody would be... few of those. Yeah, and yeah, across the board, right, regardless of size, yeah. And I've had some people locally have reached out to me saying, hey, I don't know if a house church is really... And I'll, uh, it ties into what we're talking about, so I guess I'll mention it. I don't think I could do what you guys are doing because, you know, we really need a good youth program for the kids and we, you know, we need this, we need that. And, you know, but do you know any good faithful Bible teaching churches, you know, because uh, my church has gone crazy. They're totally off the deep end on, you know, being left theologically, which is different. My answer would be because they need youth group. That's why they went that way. <laughs> that may be. Uh, but I'm not going to just recommend somebody because they're a house church. So, like, even the family integrated, uh, you know, uh, website for the churches that network together, uh, they do have a statement of, of faith people to sign off on. But, but they're not. It's a very basic. And you'll find Presbyterians there. You'll find Baptists there. But you'll find they're, they're not really vetting that. Not, not particularly. And as we're finding out, I mean, this, the Southern Baptist Convention has gone through quite the ringer the last two and a half years. Because they, CRT. because they got a whole bunch of churches that have uh, and pastors who have embraced yeah, CRT, critical race theory, right. and other aspects of critical theory for that matter, in spite of the fact that it goes against their statement of beliefs that they've had to sign off on, because they define their terms in such a way that they don't feel like they're being dishonest in any way. But those who understand the issues that are going on realize, no, 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 no. You're not defining the terms the way they need. You're woke, and you're denying it. That's fine. So, but they signed off on their uh, what? Are the, what are the Southern Baptists? I, I forget. I used to be Southern Baptist. Uh, the uh, oh my gosh, the resolutions. Yeah, that's not it. But there's the, the statement of uh, it almost popped into my head. Well, the Dallas statement. Yeah. Well, no. They, they, well, that's they different. They didn't, sign, they didn't sign that. But anyway, the point is, just because it's a house church doesn't make it's a good church. In fact, it could be a wackadoo church. Yeah, I won't get into specifics. I don't know if I've ever told you this, uh, Daniel, but I have shared with uh, David. There's somebody I know very well, leads a house church. I wouldn't recommend it. You know? So just because of the house church, that's not the panacea. Uh, so the family integrated part, you know, that's, that's a nice to have. That's not the main thing. You know, uh, um, are they actually being true to what the text says? Right. is the most important thing. Are they teaching God's word faithfully? And are they living out life in accordance with that faithful teaching and preaching of that word? That's what's important. Now, an extension of that could be the family integrated, you know, element of it. But that's not the, that, that's not, I'm sure, uh, what were those guys called that were wearing the Nikes and the jumpsuits and they're waiting for the, the, uh, Aliens to come in the tail of a comet, like back in the 90s. <laughs> I right? know what you're talking about. I, mean, I forget what they yeah. were called now, but those guys might have been family integrated for all I know. Right. <laughs> but they all killed each other. <laughs> so, literally, they all committed suicide. Yeah. So, so, how do you, so, I guess, 
that the pastors, right? Ask the pastors what they believe and why and that sort of thing. And if you're biblically... See, this is the challenge, though. This is why it's an important question. If you're a solid Christian already, you might want to think about having your own house church and taking on the, the mantle of responsibility. And if that's the case, reach out to me and we can talk about what that looks like and we can figure out ways to make sure that you're... You know, you're, 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 maybe all of us would get together and talk with that person and make sure they're getting launched in the right direction kind of thing. But what about the person who's not a rock-solid Christian? Uh, they know that something doesn't feel right about their church, or they're not even going to church yet, but they've heard so many danger stories about churches that have gone off the deep end that they don't know mm. what to trust, and they feel like small is good. I want to go to a house church. I feel most comfortable there. I feel like that's going to be good for me and my family. They don't know how to vet a pastor. They don't know what questions to ask. So what are some questions they should ask? I would ask, do you read the Bible during the church service? It's amazing how many people don't. Uh, not particularly house churches, but this is just a good question to ask any church before you go uh, attend is how, how often do you be, are you reading the Bible and are you preaching from the Bible or are you just giving a, a lecture that doesn't really tie to the, into the Bible? So that's, that's one thing. Um, the other, the other question you can ask is, is what is your stance on abortion or LGBT issues, th things like that. Do you have a traditional Christian worldview on those issues? And if they don't have an answer on their tip of their tongue, like if you ask me, what's my stance on abortion? It's murder. It took me half a second to say that. that that's how easy it should be to answer those questions. If you hear people hemming and hawing, oh, well, see, that's a complicated issue. It, it, it just... It, Okay, just go to the next person. Go to the next place. Because it, the pastor should have an answer on any of the uh, most uh, you know, important topics of the day, but, but particularly relating to the Bible. And if you don't have that thought-out answer, if, if it's, oh, that's a complicated thing, well, maybe this is not something that you want to be hearing um, teaching from the Word on. It might seem crazy, but I'm telling you, it's gaining so much momentum, I'm going to mention this as a way to, uh, to knock out an important segment of churches you would never want to consider. Ask them about the historicity of Moses. Really? Was, yeah, did Moses actually live? Was he an actual human being in actual history? There's a rising movement where there are people that are saying no. So obviously, that's a non-starter. I mean, the more obvious, easy one is, did you, you know, what's your position on the, the historicity of Jesus? You know, did he actually die? Did he actually raise from the dead? Did he actually ascend to heaven? You'll find some people now that are going to argue, well, it's kind of mythic in nature, and, you know. Or and what the Trinity. Did... And the Trinity. I, I know some people in the house church movement that do not believe in the Trinity. They believe that the Father and the Son are separate people, and the Son is less than the Father. And the Holy Spirit is just part of the Father, so they have the Father and the Son. And that's, that's their belief. But you wouldn't know it by just talking to them. You ha I, I have had to go through hours and hours of conversations with some of these uh, acquaintances that I have in order to understand that that was their actual position. Uh, if you came out and asked them, do you believe in the Trinity, they would have said that. But that didn't come up because they presented as believers in, and they know how to say the right stuff. And actually, here's an interesting thing. I never thought about this but right now, but you know what? This is a really good clarifying question. If I called you up, you know, I, I turned somebody on to calling you, David. Said, hey, you know what, you might want to check out David Forsey. He's got a good church thing going on down there. I trust him. You're pretty close to where he lives. You might want to see if it's a good fit for you. 
and uh, you know, ask them some important questions. The first important question they probably should ask you is, so, uh, Pastor Forsey, um, what's your understanding of the gospel? What is the gospel? Yeah. And then we wanted to do this at some point during the show anyway. How about now? Explain the gospel briefly, and then, to be honest, I don't. either one of you can jump in. Explain the gospel briefly, and then if an answer something like this isn't what you hear, it's probably <laughs> not a church to go to. Yeah. So, so, so I, I would say, I mean, do you think you're a pretty good person? Because I think I'm a pretty good person. I generally do good things. I do more good things than bad things, I think. Um, I think most people who are um, trying to, to, to do the right thing are going to end up doing more good things than bad things. And many people have the understanding that, oh, well, if there is an afterlife or if there is a heaven or whatever, I'll probably be there because I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm good enough. So if you're right, then you, your, the listener, and me, all of us, we'll, we'll all be in heaven together because I mean, we all do more good things than bad things just in general. Um, but if you're wrong, I'll be in heaven, but you'll be in hell because you didn't believe in Jesus that he died for your sins. He is the only way to, to heaven and has nothing to do with how good you are. I mean, you can keep doing more good than evil, but you, <laughs> the, the important thing is to make sure that you are trusting in Jesus alone. That's the, that's the thing. And so then you're guaranteed a spot in heaven, I guess, either way. But that's that's uh, um, Pascal's argument from what, the 1600s or something. But anyway, uh, David, you have something to add to that? Um, yeah, I don't know about I don't know about add, but uh, the yeah the the gospel is is the understanding that um, I mean it starts with with the understanding that that we need. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued, and we uh, we cannot do that ourselves. Uh, we don't have it in us, um, and so uh, so the the good news is that uh, that God has made that way. He's provided a savior, a rescuer uh, in Jesus. Um, you know, to be rescued from from our own sin, from uh, which you know has brought death into the world uh, and so uh, so Jesus is the the rescuer from um, from the the guilt the shame the condemnation uh, everything that our our sin has brought about the death that our, our sin has brought about and in honor today Reformation Day you know we are justified by by faith alone in uh, you know through his grace it's mm-hmm. not by works but by faith yeah, so in honor of Reformation Day, dress your kids up as Martin Luther. <laughs> put, a, put a monk outfit on them. But basically, I mean, and this might even be a good litmus test for your current pastor to see how your current pastor, and you could couch it as, hey, if, I, if I'm going to share the gospel with somebody, what are the things I need to be saying? Help, help me get better at sharing the gospel. And your, there are some basic pieces to the sharing of the gospel that are must-haves. I would say, at minimum, and I don't think it goes far enough, but at minimum, it needs to touch upon uh, creation, fall, redemption. At minimum, those three things. I don't think it goes far enough. But if they're not at least there, I mean, there is a creator, right? Right? Who created everything. <laughs> Right? He, there's like matter wasn't pre existent. You know, God made everything, right? So you got to start with a creator. Uh, and you can get into what was in 
quote-unquote, the mind of God before creation and all that, but those are all related to there is a creator who has a mind and, and created everything. So you've got to start there. And then the second thing was fall, meaning you know, there is sin, there is brokenness, there is evil. We do wrong things. And this creator hasn't done any wrong things. He has a perfect standard, and he created you for a relationship with him, but he can only have the kind of relationship that we really can have through righteousness and so the fall breaks that so you have creation and you have fall and then redemption means the necessity of christ not and not just christ at the cross but the, the but the the person of christ the work of christ who he is and what he's done and he is the son of god so if christ is anything other than the son of god you've got a problem if if christ is merely an example uh you've got a problem if he didn't actually accomplish something at the cross you've got a real problem so those three are absolute must i would say i've heard some people add and i think helpfully what they call a fourfold gospel so they'll have creation fall redemption and then they'll add glorification which gets to the telos the end like the ultimate aim you're, you're, so creation fall redemption redeemed onto what redeemed onto glorification but i like to actually add a, a, a fifth fold if you will a fifth element so I feel like a fuller, more complete expression of the gospel. You got creation, fall, redemption, restoration, which is the bridge between the cross and the glorification. But it, it addresses the question: What's happening now? It, it has to do with our sanctification and the the outworking of the gospel. So it's truly a repentance. It's a repentance unto obedience. It's not not easy believism. It's not like, oh, I said the sinner's prayer, and now I'm going to be forever with God in heaven because I'm going to be glorified. Like we've skipped over the sanctifying, restoring part, the work out your, your faith uh, aspect of the gospel. So I feel like if those five pieces, at least the first three, but if all five are, are, are given, you've got a pastor or somebody who's given you a comprehensive expression of the gospel, and if they can do that, that's a good church, whether it's a house church or not. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's, a, that, that's a, good, a, good, uh, a good minimum, right? A good... Uh, a good start um, foundation yeah yeah uh, I think I think what the only other thing that I would add and you, and you may not see this until over time uh, but is uh, is that gospel laced through out uh, everything that the church does is is the gospel uh, right is it is it ever present by the way, culturally speaking, it'd be good for us to say, you know, when you get in, when you're talking about each of these creation, okay, created as what? Men were created as men, women were created as women. Right? Those those are right, important you can't things. Choose what you are. You know, those those are important you. things because you're talking about okay, what if you reject if you're listening to this right now and you reject that, that's fine. But you're not just rejecting my words, you're rejecting what the Bible teaches. And so you're not looking for a faithfully biblical church. But if you're looking for a faithful biblical church, you're looking for a church that's going to say a man is a man, a woman is a woman. Because that's that would be the biblical teaching. I, I, I think ultimately what uh, acknowledging God as creator is doing is acknowledging that he is the ultimate authority. That what he says is he reality is reality. Yeah, he, right. he makes the rules for... He is for, sovereign. Right. For... for you know, from the beginning and throughout all of eternity. Right. Yeah. So that's... And that, that's a lot of what God said to Job at the end of Job is, look, I'm God, you're a man, you know, I, I can do all these things. This is, this is not your place to, to, to judge me. Yeah. Um, 
Now, we only got you know a couple of minutes literally uh, left, but I, I thought it might be good to touch on because I know that uh, David, your family homeschools doesn't just house church, but homeschools, and I think you are homeschooled as well, yep, right? And I homeschool as well. So, and you mentioned that as a way to try to find a house church, actually, is look for a homeschool network or something like that, some sort of uh, uh, cooperative program or something, and they might, there might be a higher percentage of people there that are going to house churches, I guess, is the implication there. It, it's, it's obviously not a requirement that, that you do one or the other. I mean, I have firm, and we'll talk about that issue perhaps. But there's, like a, there's a natural overlap, it seems to me, right? If you're already homeschooling, house churching makes a lot of sense. And if you're house churching, well, homeschooling makes a lot of sense. Is, is that yeah. fair? Yeah. So, I mean, my, I, I think my thought to sort of tie both of those together is that, um, you know, God created the family when he said it's not good that man should be alone and, you know, and brought Adam and Eve together. Uh, and so the, the, the family is where... I would say sort of sort of everything should be should be happening it should be uh, as centered around the family as possible so the you know whether it's whether it's education uh, I mean our our society is so so far away from uh, from the family you know that it, it's hard to make work center around the family um, you know so yeah, it's a real challenge for our culture right now because, you know, uh, in, in church context, it's drop off your kids at the curb and the youth group and the Sunday school takes care of it right. for you. Drop them off at the curb and the government-funded pagan schools uh, take care of it for you. Um, and so it goes so contrary to what the norm in our culture is. Right. But I'm telling you, if you're still homeschooling, uh, or homeschooling if you're still uh, pagan schooling your kids right now, what in the world are you thinking? Seriously, they, they are Marxist factories. <laughs> you, need to, you need to really think long and hard. And if you have questions about that, I mean, the Razzi family and the Forsey family, and even my family to a lesser degree, have experience. You guys have tons of experience in that. You could speak to that and help coach them through it and, and, and be a guide and a resource for that. So if you're thinking about homeschooling, oh, but I could never do it. How do you do it? I'm telling you, these guys could help you figure that it out. It's your responsibility to teach your, to teach your kids. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you uh, for that firm exclamation point on the end of the show, Daniel. As Daniel Razvi, uh, the other voice you heard besides mine today is David Forsey. Um, we've got no music playing. I forgot to hit the start music. So you're going to go out cold on this one. No music. We'll talk to you next week. Find us online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless. Yeah, I don't know why I forgot the music. I had it all set up and timed and ready to go, and then I never hit start. Well, well, that's what happens when you get a little later and get a little fuzzier, and you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, that was. I thought that was good. It's a good thing your father wasn't here; he wouldn't have gotten a word in edgewise. Yeah, we, come, we, we at least touched on everything I was thinking we probably would uh, yeah. touch on. We didn't get into depth on certain things. Like, you're obviously very passionate about the youth group Sunday school thing. And by the way, so am I. Mm -hmm. uh, and you might be. And actually, you having been involved in leading youth, right? Even yeah. a youth pastor. 
could probably share an interesting perspective. That might be a topic we'll want to remember to file away. Um, one of the things that I think would make sense... Let me get rid of this. Uh, Are we still live on Facebook, too? Oh, yeah, I probably should turn that off. So let me turn this off. Facebook, thanks so much. Till next week or next time or whatever. God bless.